The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior, and I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats, and since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Want to live like people did in the 1600s? Like very, very religious people did in the 1600s. Since you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to guess absolutely not. I doubt this is the only modern convenience you enjoy. For a simple life of farming and praying and, well, mostly farming and praying, would you be willing to give up smartphones, laptops, espresso, all restaurants, all movies and TV shows, modern music, any sense of fashion, most modern conveniences like microwaves, central AC, and heated car seats, and cars, and all other modern modes of transportation, and so much more, damn near everything. Even if you're critical of some modern technology, of, say, social media, it's likely you can't imagine life completely without it. Many of us, like this guy, owe our careers and livelihoods to technology, but not the Amish. Who are they? What do they practice? Why in God's name do they dress like they lost a bet? Like they're headed to a funeral a couple centuries ago? Why does it look like their hair was cut by a bunch of moths? While many of us think we might know a thing or two about the Amish, they've been a peculiar object of media fascination in the U.S. for several decades. What do you really know about them? Did you know that the Amish traced their cultural heritage back to Europe, Switzerland in particular, hundreds of years ago, and that they still live like people did in Switzerland hundreds of years ago? Farming, carpentry, raising barns, making quilts, eating food from their gardens, drinking milk from their cows, churning their own butter. It's likely you probably knew a lot of these things about the Amish already. But do you know why they live this way? In short, the Amish live the way they do because they interpret scripture, at least some of it, uh, very literally as the word of God, taking very seriously certain biblical commands to separate themselves from the things of this world. They believe worldliness keeps one from being close to God and introduces secular, possibly satanic influences that are destructive to their community and to their way of life. Influences that could lead to damnation by restricting access to television, radio, the internet, telephones, the Amish believe they are better able to keep the modern world from intruding into their lives. Less room for podcasts. Boo! More room for God. Ah, still boo, at least for me. At least when it comes to their idea of God. Their version of God seems like a, a real fun killer. Let's get to know these 
curious people today. Their Protestant Reformation and Anabaptist origins, their association with the Mennonites, their interesting uh, fashion choices, their horrific practice of shunning, their problems with rumspringa and sheltering abusive members. Let's head back in time and explore the Amish in another, is this a religion or a cult? And either way, is it a good or terrible group to be a member of edition of Time Suck? This is Michael McDonald and you're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, meat sack! Welcome to the cult of the curious! What if I sang like that for the whole show? That'd be fucking annoying. Uh, I came out of nowhere. I'm Dan Cummins, a suck master, suck nasty, Amish IT support supervisor, Mennonite bikini designer, and you're listening to Time Suck. Hail Nimrod, don't appear and give any Amish any heart attacks, Lucifina. Uh, praise Bojangles, maybe we'll uh, make sure that, that butter is totally churned, and sing a little barn-raising ditty, Triple M. Uh, for you Google, a couple quick announcements. Uh, for you Google Podcast app listeners, thank you for sending in emails letting us know that Time Suck has not been playing correctly. Uh, turns out our feed on Google was hijacked. It was hacked again, uh, just like it was last April. Google has a very interesting way of determining uh, who a podcast belongs to, uh, a super shitty dumb way, and they've made their platform the easiest to hijack you know, and hack uh, by far. Uh, we now have the feedback. I I highly recommend that if you're an Android user, you use a third-party app like uh, CastBox, very reliable, uh, instead of the Google Podcast app to listen to this on. But if you don't want to, all right, I get it. Uh, but the suck doesn't sound right. Uh, weird ad breaks, et cetera, you know, jumping around. Please send us an email to bojangles at timesuckpodcast.com. We'll hit them up. We'll uh, contact their AI bots. We'll talk to Anusha. And uh, then we'll get it short- sorted out as quick as uh, they allow us to. And maybe you can listen to the podcast somewhere else in the interim. Uh, now for a happier announcement. Uh, Meat Sack, start your engines. Brand new 90s inspired racing tee in the store now featuring your favorite driver, the Suckinator. Uh, what is this design referencing? Fucking nothing. Logan just wanted to make a race car driver shirt. And I got to say, I feel like I have the right face for it. Uh, the way he p- uh, put it in there, it feels like it does look like me. And I do look like a NASCAR driver from the 90s. Uh, use code FASTFACTS for 10% off this tee just for hearing this. Uh, visit badmagicmerch.com today to grab this new tee. And then uh, one more thing. I hope I had fun in Orlando this past weekend with the Symphony of Insanity stand-up tour. Next stop, Oklahoma City. Then I'm off to Atlanta, Charlotte, Tempe, Missoula, Raleigh, Davenport, and Chicago. Uh, we added a show in Salt Lake City in May, so tickets are available there again. Uh, we did not add a show in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We did not have a show there. After this episode, it's, I don't know if it's going to hurt my probably gonna hurt my turnout if I were to try and have a show there. Fuck yeah, bro. Um, and now onto a topic that our wise space lizards have voted meeth to sucketh uponeth. Something that looks sort of on the outside like another cult. I mean, at the very least, it looks cult-ish. Bare minimum, super insular religious community that teeters on being a cult. Uh, as, as we've seen with our LDS and Jehovah's Witnesses sucks, sometimes it's difficult to draw the line between cult and very conservative religious community. In the community we're looking at today, no one is claiming to be a prophet of God. No one is claiming definite knowledge of when the world is going to end alongside some instructions that you'll only survive the impending apocalypse and possibly be rewarded, you know, after you die in it, if you're part of their inner circle. So that's good. You know, you don't have to, uh, you know, suck anybody's dick to, to make it into the inner circle either. So, you know, that part, not too culty. However, many conservative Amish communities, and there are many different Amish communities, they do dictate who you can talk to, what you can wear. Uh, what you're allowed to do on a day-to-day basis. And if you don't like living by their many, many very strict rules, well, you can go get fucked. 
You'll be shunned and be treated, you know, by your family and friends and everyone else you've ever known like you no longer exist. You'll be banished from the only community, the only life you've ever had. And you'll stay banished until you agree to live by their strict rules again. That's pretty cult-like. But does the practice of shunning automatically make a group a cult? No, not technically. Uh, Not according to those who study cults. Uh, Although, as we've discussed numerous times before, uh, the definition of a cult is a bit slippery. You don't have to be as hardcore as Heaven's Gates, you know, commit mass suicide to board Jesus' spaceship behind a comet. Uh, You don't have to think that uh, wannabe rock star David Koresh is the Messiah and prep a militia for uh, end-time battles like in the Branch Davidians cult. You know, you don't have to be a street preacher, you know, or follow the street preachings like, uh, you know, Tony or Susan Alamo and trick disillusioned youth into getting on a bus headed to your compound and then strongly pressure them to break ties to their families and give all their earthly belongings to your cult. They've just uh, joined and be your slave labor. You don't have to feel pressure to fuck your leader, you know, because that's what God wants, um, which happens in so many cults. But as I mentioned in the Oneida community cult suck, one dictionary definition of the word cult is a relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. And just like many felt that the Oneida community was strange because they were so fucking strange, a lot of people think the Amish are strange too, me included. I used to think the Amish lifestyle was, uh, was cute quaint maybe, right? Uh, A part of me envied how happy they must be in moments to be living simple lives in our increasingly complex and often frustrating world. Uh, On days like today, when I wrote this section of notes, I thought about the appeal of simple living when I was going back and forth with tech support uh, between my ad agency and uh, Google bots trying to get Google to restore the feed for this podcast, you know, because their AI bots fucked up and let the, you know, hacked version of TimeSuck replace TimeSuck. Uh, same day, couldn't get Dropbox to sync on a new laptop I bought with a bigger screen because I need new glasses, but the eye doctor is backed up for months because of too many people moving to Coeur d'Alene too fast. Same day, I'm not using the desktop iMac I now prefer to use at the office because it has an even bigger screen than either laptop, but my emails still aren't on there and I have too much prep to get done for this episode to find time to set those email accounts up and I'm having sign-in issues on a variety of accounts on all the computers because uh, when another computer was set up here in the office, uh, something happened in the passwords between Joe and me and <laughs> everything got like switched up and Joe thinks it's a com- Google Chrome syncing issue, but he's not sure. On days like this, you know, I might think, yeah, maybe a simpler technology-free life would be better. Maybe fuck technology. Maybe it'd be nice just to uh, mostly worry about harvesting the crops, uh, trimming the beard, you know, milking the cows, get my, get my hands in the soil. He's a man's soil. Not care about social media or Wi-Fi or, you know, even a goddamn phone. Just uh, out there with my suspenders, getting that vitamin D from the from the heaven's, heaven's vitamin factory, the sun. Uh, but after doing a lot of research and combing over Sophie Evans' research, who did the initial pass on the notes for this topic, I don't think the simple life many of these Amishes, uh, they're living is actually, you know, less stressful than the lives most of the uh, rest of us are living. I mean, sure, they never, you know, uh, get pissed about their Wi-Fi because even though they've upgraded to the highest internet speed Spectrum has to offer, Call of Duty still sometimes drops out mid-game and Netflix sometimes streams on standard definition. But they're still feeling stress. For starters, many of them seem uh, very stressed out trying to please the real rule-happy angry God they've chosen to worship. Uh, Lindsay, growing up in Ohio, my wife, uh, she would see uh, Amish, you know, uh, somewhat often. And she was uh, commenting when I was talking about this subject to her that she doesn't remember ever seeing one smile. Didn't seem happy. And I got to say, the ones I've seen, same. And watching a lot of docs and things, same. Don't seem very happy. Uh, seem stressed, worried about Satan's outside world bringing damnation to their communities and homes. They seem worried about losing one or some or all of their many children to a life of sinful hedonism. They're worried about how long their son's beard is, how long their daughter's dress is. So many rules. Worried about the crops, cows, 
etc. You know, uh, you know, the lifestyle seems hard. A lot of people I watch these videos talk about how hard the life is, how frustrating and confusing it can be to follow so, so many rules that have no biblical basis. But you do it because you've been taught it's God's will and you don't even remember why it's been taught that way. Simpler, ah, is it really simpler? Uh, and even if it is, uh, not always easier or better or less stressful. And connecting back with that cold definition I tossed out, many do think the kind of simple life the Amish are associated with is uh, it's super strange. But is it also sinister? Uh, I would say no if it wasn't for that damn shunning situation they have going on. The Amish do allow members to leave if they choose. Amish communities want to create a community uh, singularly, singularly devoted to God. And in that sense, I get why you can't have half-assers muddying up your devotional ranks. But cutting off children from their families just because they refuse to worship God or worship God in the same way or get their fucking hair cut the same way, wear the same color of suspenders? That's more than strange. I think that's a bit sinister. It's for sure extremely controlling and concerning. I mean, if a friend of yours, relative, whatever, started dating someone who wanted to control their behavior to that degree, that strictly, tell them what they can wear, how to have their hair cut, what to do, who they can talk to, how to spend their money, on and on and on. Wouldn't you think they had started to date a fucking psychopath? That it was a real negative relationship, abusive, bad for them, sinister even? I would. And if someone I knew decided to become Amish after what I've learned, uh, I wouldn't approve. I would feel terrible for them. I think they were making an absolutely horrific choice for the same reasons. So cult or religious group, eh, even though according to the definition I gave, they could be considered a cult. I don't think any cult experts are labeling them as a cult. So I guess I won't either. I'll label them an extremely insular, extremely religious, extremely socially controlling group uh, I wouldn't want to see anyone I know become a part of. I'm curious how you'll see them by the end of this suck. We've got, we got a lot of information to cover. Now let's go churn some podcast butter. Uh, before we really learn about uh, who the Amish actually are, uh, let's go over first, you know, what most of us were taught about the Amish. Then I'll lay out, you know, uh, what we're going to learn the rest of the episode and we'll, and we'll plow ahead. Uh, I'm guessing the vast majority of you probably think you know a little something about the Amish, right? I thought so too before looking into today's research. And I did know a little. You probably do too. And I bet like me, your understanding of the Amish, you know, came from pop culture and or reality TV depictions. Based on those depictions, I knew they don't dress like anyone I've ever hung out with. A pretty fucking distinctive looking group. Ever watch that 1996 Fairly Brothers film, Kingpin? Holy shit, is it so good. Cult classic. <laughs> I finally have enough money. I can buy my way out of anything. I can do anything I want. And I'll walk. Finally, big earn is above the law. Fucking so many great Bill Murray quotes in that movie. So many great quotes, period. On Kingpin, Woody Harrelson plays Roy Munson, washed up, one-handed, has-been bowler who was once a, a promising young bowler whose career was savagely derailed by pro bowler and hustler Big Earn McCracken, played by living fucking legend Bill Murray. Uh, then there's Randy Quaid as Ishmael Bork, young Amish man with a golden arm who Munson thinks he can uh, make a lot of money off of, you know, hustling other bowlers and cash games. A lot of the comedy based off how little Ishmael knows about the outside world. He has no idea how almost anything works outside of the Amish community. He even takes a dump in a urinal in a public restroom at one point. He's clueless, pretty asexual, a child in a man's body in many ways. A lot of jokes about barn raising, milk and cows, simple living, puritanical sexual beliefs, etc. Everyone has really bad haircuts, you know, like terrible bowl cuts. Uh, they're all riding around in horses and buggies and they don't use phones, watch TV, listen to the radio. They don't seem to have much fun. They don't smile a lot. And I assumed a lot of that was wildly exaggerated. 
But in some of the more conservative Amish communities, and most of them seem to be pretty conservative, uh, you know, not so much. The Amish for sure, for sure do wear extremely outdated clothing. Uh, they do zip around in horses and buggies. There is a technology ban. They do have distractingly bad haircuts, in my opinion. And that's not something I even notice in most people. But holy shit, it looks like a fucking raccoon having muscle spasms. Got a hold of some pruning shears and just got turned loose on some of these motherfuckers' heads. Like, I would have a hard time taking them seriously if speaking face-to-face. It looks like they're trying to be outrageously distracting. Like, they're begging you to comment on their hair. Uh, ever see the video for Weird Al's Amish Paradise? That parody of Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise? Weird Al's hair in that video looks way cooler than many actual Amish dudes. That song also came out in 1996. 1996, a big year for poking fun at the Amish for whatever reason. Uh, Here's a refresher of that amazing song if you you don't remember it. Oh, another living legend, Weird Al. So good. And the lyrics do describe the Amish fairly well. As I walk through the valley where I harvest my grain, I take a look at my wife and realize she's very plain. But that's just perfect for an Amish like me. You know I shun fancy things like electricity. At 4.30 in the morning, I'm milking cows. Jebediah feeds the chickens and Jacob plows. Fool, and I've been milking and plowing so long that even Ezekiel thinks that my mind is gone. I'm a man of the land, I'm into discipline. Got a Bible in my hand and a beard on my chin. But if I finish all of my chores and you finish thine, then tonight we're gonna party like it's 1699. We've been... That song was probably the... Well, I should play it. Uh, to complete the loop, let you hear a tiny bit of the chorus. Abandoned most our lives living in an Amish paradise. Okay. Uh, that song was probably the first bit of cultural exposure the Amish for many of us, uh, second for me, right behind Kingpin. And like Kingpin, you know, as ridiculous as it is, it actually does get quite a bit right. Uh, you know, you don't have to work very hard to parody the Amish. They are naturally, or they naturally come across, as mean as this may sound, you know, as a bit of a parody. Uh, they elicit a, what the fuck are you guys doing? Is this cosplay? Like, what's happening here? Reaction from me. Is this a fucking renaissance fair, you know, uh, that you guys are just currently living in? Uh, Al's song mentions how the Amish get up early in the morning. Really early to milk cows, plow the fields, churn butter. It uh, goes on, you know, talking about selling quilts, you know, feeding the chickens, leaving, living plainly, you know, be super biblical, boring, you know, quick to forgive. Also be super focused on not burning in hell. Uh, all very true for many Amish. Uh, I haven't made an Amish churning butter reference in a stand-up bit years ago in a bit called Permission to Swear. Uh, and it always got big laughs because people did associate that with the Amish, you know. Oh, freak, Nathaniel Adaya. You tell Ezekiel Adaya, there'll be no fresh butter this morn. Amish and butter churning. Almost everybody gets the association. Uh, stand-up actually led to my first Amish sightings, actually. I did not grow up around any Amish. There are some Mennonites around Spokane, where I went to college and lived for years afterwards. And I'm not too far from Spokane now. I still see them at the airport. Uh, we will learn that the Mennonites, not averse to technology, uh, the overwhelming majority of them, and they don't dress that weird. Uh, plain, but not quite like they walked out of a time machine. Uh, I did a, a few stand-up shows in the heart of Amish c- uh, country years ago, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. The biggest Amish community in the U.S. Uh, no open to the public performances. I was doing some NACA showcases, National Association for Campus Activities. Yeah, you put on a short stand-up comedy show, preview your full show for campus activity board members for schools in the big region, and they decide to bring you to their school for a full show or not. You used to do a lot of those. Me, singer-songwriters, magicians, motivational speakers, poets, all competing for the chance to perform in mostly empty college student union buildings or at noon in a cafeteria. Wish I was kidding. I had some real soul-crushing shows. Uh, 
but I know this isn't about stand-up. Definitely did not see any Amish in the audience when I did some showcases in Lancaster. Uh, they would not have enjoyed my show or any show. Uh, not the old order Amish adults who've chosen to commit to that shit for life. If any Amish listening uh, are listening to my shit right now, they're doing it on the down low or, or doing it during Rumspringa. They're not sharing Here Come the Spoons, motherfucker, with uh, Ma and Pa. Uh, traveling to Lancaster, I saw those horses and buggies for the first time. And I did, at first I was like, wait, is this like some kind of like reenactment? I saw stern looking dudes with long beards and no mustaches. Why no mustaches, by the way? Well, because the mustache is the devil's pussy and ball tickler. It will not be worn on a righteous man's face. Amen, brother, Hank and Jebediah Thaniel. Uh, but for real, had never seen those guys uh, wearing their black felt brimmed hats before. Those plain black, not fitted very well, homemade suits with suspenders, no belts. Saw women in plain long dresses, bonnets. You know, no one uh, seemed real carefree and full of joy. Serious looking crew. And I was surprised that they actually did look like the people in Kingpin or in Weird Al's, you know, music video. Like it was, they, they didn't, they didn't caricature their looks. Also, before I move on to a more uh, pop culture depictions of the Amish, uh, I didn't start telling bullshit stories to trick people on this show. It's something I've been doing since I was a little kid. Started fuck with my little sister, then neighbor kids, friends, coworkers. Here we are. One of my favorite lies was about the Amish in Lancaster County. Uh, I got my college agent at the time to fall for some serious bullshit. Stu Golfman, good dude. Same guy I went to Vegas with for that, uh, you know, big acid and so many other drugs, uh, fear and loathing recreation trip. I talked about, you know, years ago on Comedy Central's, this is not happening. Uh, Stu and I were driving back to the airport in Philadelphia, had just passed some Amish folk. And then in the distance, we saw several big hot air balloons, you know, just coincidence. I'm sure that had nothing to do with the Amish. Just happened to also be in Lancaster County. And I told Stu, when he's like, ah, oh, what, what's going on over there? I told him that the Amish were real big into hot air balloons, told him that while they, they weren't allowed to drive cars or fly in planes, if they did need to travel long distances, they were allowed to use hot air balloons because, you know, they weren't that high tech. And, that, that, and I told him that hot air balloons were sometimes called Amish jets. And he totally bought it. And he thought that was really cool. And to this day, I regret later telling him that was bullshit before we flew out. He bought it 100%. I had him. And I felt bad and I ruined it. I should have let him carry that lie around for a while. Bring it up at parties. You know, have people talk about him after he left. What was that shit about Amish jets? Is he serious? Still a fucking idiot. That's absurd. Uh, all right. So outside of Kingpin and Weird Al's Amish paradise, how have the Amish been depicted in pop culture? How else have they been introduced to many, if not most of us? Well, the Amish have been a, a focus of a lot of reality TV shows over the years. Uh, probably the most well-known of these shows is Breaking Amish, an American reality show on the TLC television network, debuted September 9th, 2012, wrapped up in 2014 after four seasons. Uh, did you know that TLC no longer stands for anything? Seriously, it used to stand for the Learning Channel, but they stopped talking about learning back around 1998 Realized there was uh, way more money in trash TV than there was in education. Uh, Breaking Amish pulled in enough ratings that it spun off into Return to Amish, also on TLC. Show that ran six seasons uh, and counting from 2014 to the present. Series deals with some of the original cast members of Breaking Amish. You know, why not just uh, continue the original show? I'm strongly assuming because of money. Probably were able to pay the producers and or talent of the spinoff way less than the people who came up with the original show idea. Speculating though. Uh, the spinoff was supposed to be about the cast members returning to their hometowns, trying to adjust to living in their Amish communities once again after getting a taste of modern life. Uh, but mostly it ended up, uh, you know, being about them not returning and or being shunned by their families and not allowed to return. And it seems as if most of it was made up bullshit. It seems as if they pulled the wool over Hezekiah Thaniel Babaniel Adiah's eyes. More on that in just a bit. Before either of these, there was the one and done 2004 UPN series, Amish in the City. 
that first show revolved around five Amish teens living in a house with six mainstream American teenagers during the rum spring period when Amish teens are allowed to get a taste of experiencing life outside the Amish community with little to no repercussions. If they then choose to return, I'll dig into rum spring a lot more later. But the show never really made it clear who returned to their Amish community, uh, who chose to live life free from Amish rules. Again, they weren't that concerned with, you know, it wasn't like a, a true docuseries. Uh, Breaking Amish revolved around four young Amish adults, talking about that one again, uh, and one Mennonite. You'll see in the timeline how closely these two groups are related, uh, who moved to New York City in order to experience a different life. This was not Rumspringer, though, because the cast members were too old for that. This was some younger Amish living their old lives, uh, leaving their old lives behind. Uh, but the show presented the move to NYC as being totally in line with Rumspringa because most reality TV and networks like TLC don't actually give a fuck about reality or facts. Uh, this show followed the cast members as they experienced life in New York, face situations involving work, friendship, romance, lifestyle, you know, other drama. And apparently most, uh, if not almost all of it, was manufactured and not authentic. In Breaking Amish, these young adults uh, do things like go to buy modern clothes called English clothes by many Amish communities, get tattoos, take driving lessons, wear bikinis, but allegedly very scripted. Uh, also in 2012, the Discovery Channel produced an Amish series called Amish Mafia. Amish Mafia aired for four seasons, 35 episodes before being canceled in 2015. It followed Lebanon Levi and his assistants as they supposedly kept the peace in the Amish community and protected the Amish from outsiders. And that particular show is absolute horseshit. Complete and total fucking nonsense. There is no Amish Mafia. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, this show was presented as a docuseries as true reality TV by the Discovery Channel. But scholars, local journalists, local law enforcement in Lancaster County all refuted the existence of this supposed mafia. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, would the Discovery Channel pay to completely fake something and present it as truth? Fuck yeah, bro. I actually know this firsthand. Back around 2013, I worked on a Discovery project. I won't name because more and more people listen to the show and I don't want to be sued. And blatant forgery. Everybody knew it. But a bunch of producers, you know, taking small elements of truth, distorting the fuck out of it until the actual show was extremely loosely based in quote unquote reality, like, like very loosely. Uh, all the Amish shows I've mentioned have been uh, accused of greatly fabricating the truth to the point of not being authentic and, uh, you know, greatly misrepresenting Amish life. By the early 2000s, if not before, you know, the days of reality shows like The Simple Life, reality TV uh, was no longer real in most cases. I know I've covered this, some of this before, but, you know, it's been a long time. And I think it's relevant to today's topic. Uh, early 90s shit, like the real world, that was somewhat real from what producers have told me. Uh, but production companies, networks quickly figured out it was way too expensive to just plant cameras all over the place. You know, roll tape for fucking months, pay a bunch of editors later to build the shows and post from thousands of hours of footage. Much better to soft script them. Twist real people into caricatures, manufacture drama, establish network-approved plot, plot lines before field crews even make it to locations. Uh, get a more structured episode every few days that's actually watchable. Early on, everyone in the industry figured out that if you don't massage real people's choices and escalate real people's conflicts, most of the time, their real life is really fucking boring and uneventful, like almost everyone else's. One producer I worked with told me how uh, on one of those Real Housewives shows, uh, he worked on from its inception... Uh, one of those wives shows. Uh, I don't want to say it's part of that franchise, but he helped manipulate cast members into uh, physically fighting, right? To launch the show, they cast the most dramatic, volatile people they could find, then lied to them over and over, manipulated them, showed them footage of other characters talking shit about them uh, when those people were fed lines by producers. And they get these people so worked up that then they, you know, put them in a room, roll the cameras and, you know, get them fighting physically, like some Jerry Springer shit. Another producer I worked with, uh, uh, you know, uh, said he worked on numerous paranormal 
paranormal ghost hunter shows in the first decade of the 2000s. He said that he and other producers regularly planted all sorts of shit to manufacture scares. Fake EVP recordings, creepy dolls, and occult objects. Producers planted in attics and basements as if they'd been uh, left there. They'd scribble pentagrams into the, into the walls, pretend they found it. Producers would hide in basements and attics and truly scare ghost hunters who weren't really ghost hunters. They were people who had been cast to play ghost hunters, uh, like a fucking boy band just put into this, you know, uh, manufactured team. So fake, fake, fake. And the same shit has been done with Amish reality shows, apparently. Of course it has. Manufactured drama. Exaggerated characters. Clever edits to create moments that never actually happened. That's a big one. I watched I watch some of those moments be created in editing rooms on some shows, right? Cut up some dialogue, present it out of order, present a cast member talking to one person when in reality they were talking about someone else. Take shit out of context, Frankenbite it, then create a reality no one ever experienced for the viewer to watch. Not all of reality TV is manufactured. There have been exceptions. I've also worked with people who really, you know, are who they are uh, portrayed to be, ghost hunters who take it seriously, et cetera. But a lot of this shit has been faked. And it seems, you know, where the Amish concerned, it's been mostly bullshit. Uh, one woman who commented on some of these Amish reality shows went by the name of Abigail on Reddit. Uh, she grew up in a Mennonite community in Ohio. Uh, Abigail would say that the 2004 TV series Amish in the City was a load of crap. A sentiment shared by a lot of others on Reddit. Uh, she said, they acted as if they had never seen parking meters, the beach, etc. It was so ridiculous. Because the town in which that girl was from has parking meters. My sister knew several of them and they played it up so much for TV, she claimed. Also, outside of teenagers on Rumspringa, real old school Amish, they're not going to agree to do a reality TV show. You know, uh, if they're uh, against watching TV, why the fuck would they agree to be on a TV show? I mean, I know, I know many, many of them are people who have left for a little bit, but uh, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's a bunch of bullshit. Abigail also spoke at length about something I'll get more into as we go forward. Not all Amish communities are the same. That's important to keep in mind today. Uh, you know, Amish communities, not the same as Mennonites. Similar. Both can be traced back to the same religious groups eventually, but not the same now. Uh, Mennonites also have a decent amount of variation in what rules they have to follow from Mennonite community to community. And Abigail said that some Mennonites are allowed access to almost all technology. Others allowed to drive cars, but only certain kinds. Others have TVs, but can't watch shows on cable. That kind of thing. Uh, the religious leaders of a lot of these communities, uh, you know, they get to decide a lot of these rules. They get to adapt them. Um, and just like a lot of, you know, reality TV producers, they seem to make a lot of shit up as they go along. Abigail talked about how the idea of Amish young adults encountering the world for the first time and being so confused, disturbed, or blown away by things like cars or stoplights is absurd. However, in some old order communities, like the Schwarzentruber Amish communities, reportedly the most conservative of the old order conservative Amish groups, that is life, uh, how life can be when someone leaves a community or is shunned and has to leave. Uh, the Schwarzentruber Amish formed as the result of a division that occurred among the Amish of Holmes County, Ohio in the years 1913 to 1917. They've split further since, right? The history of uh, Christianity split after split after split, as we've covered before, uh, never ends. Outside of the Catholic Church, uh, not a lot of stability. Uh, to show why the Schwarzentruber Amish are deemed the most conservative Amish group, there are these charts online that show what technology each group is not allowed to use, uh, you know, that is allowed to be used by at least one other old order group. And the Schwarzentruber, Amish, uh, they are against the following technology, all of which again is accepted by at least one other group of Amish communities. Tractors, rototillers, power lawnmowers, propane gas, bulk milk tanks, mechanical refrigerators, jelly realistic dildos with suction cups, pickup balers, indoor flushing toilets, running water bathtubs, chainsaws, orgy machine vibrating pussy and tongue combos, pneumatic tools, Get hard premium power pumps, 
pressurized lamps. The only thing that they allow that some other groups don't are booty thruster, remote-controlled vibrating anal plugs. I mean motorized washing machines. Sorry, the sex stuff was obviously nonsense. Uh, I was reading product descriptions off a sex toy site I may or may not shop from in real life, but the rest was real. I love that, yes, you can have a motorized washing machine. That's obviously godly, but you can't have one of Satan's chainsaws. Get get Satan's chainsaw out of here! You know, you can't, you can't have the uh, running water bathtub. That's, that's the devil. Uh, what you can and can't have is it's supposed to be based on essentially what keeps you focused on a godly life, on what distracts from it. Why am I talking about this group? Because people who have left this group sometimes do talk about being blown away and confused by things like stoplights. A woman named Emma Gingrich. I highly recommend if you're interested more in the Amish after this episode, you look her up. Emma Gingrich, she left her Schwarzenegger Amish community just outside the tiny 275-person town of Eagleville, Missouri in 2006 when she was 18 and she left for the very first time and she didn't have a fucking clue how the world worked. She had an eighth grade education, uh, all that was allowed uh, you know, uh, for her to have and not even a good normal eighth grade education. She could barely speak English when she left. The only language she was fluent in was Pennsylvania Dutch, which is actually a variation of West uh, Central German, only spoken by Old Order Amish and Old Order Mennonites and some of their descendants. Uh, they don't even speak this dialect in Germany. It evolved in the U.S. Uh, when Emma ran away, she could only speak a language that was fucking useless outside of the religious community she was running away from and others like it. She was also taught uh, some basic English in school, but not allowed to use it outside of her lessons, so she could barely speak a rudimentary version. Even though she was born and raised in the U.S., she was taught virtually nothing about the world around her. Not the language, not the culture, not the history, nothing. She didn't know who any president was, like any ever. She said shortly after running away, with nothing to call her own other than the clothes she was wearing, she saw a picture in someone's house of founding father George Washington, right? First U.S. president. She actually thought it was her grandpa. Think about how crazy that is. To think that, that means she had likely never seen a dollar bill before. And she was 18 years old and grew up in America. For fuck's sake. Uh, Some Amish communities interact plenty with the modern world on a daily basis by having small businesses, you know, going to non-Amish businesses like banks. But other communities like Emma's, they do have virtually no interaction with the outside world. Very insular. Very cult-like in that way, I think. And when they do interact with the outside world in most very patriarchal old order communities, it's only the men who are doing the interacting with outsiders. Women are very sheltered. Uh, None more so than girls, right? Unmarried uh, women. Young unmarried women are often ridiculously ignorant of what life is like in the world around them. Uh, Emma, against all odds, thrived in the outside world. Just so you know, she ended up writing a popular book about her escape, Runaway Amish Girl, The Great Escape. Got a job, earned her GED. Uh, she had no you know, family. She, she knew nobody out there. Uh, learned uh, you know, to use dating apps, got her bachelor's degree, got a job in the medical field, even MBA. But she is the exception to the rule. Okay, now back to those Amish reality shows. How fake they are has been talked about by some of the people who, uh, who worked on the shows. In a 2019 essay, Claire J. Harris described her work on a New York City-based Amish reality show. Uh, and she alludes strongly to another Amish reality show without naming it for legal reasons. Uh, Nat Geo's 2012 Amish Out of Order a breaking Amish knockoff uh, by the looks of it. Claire worked as a low-paid production assistant, PA. She's written about the dynamics between the, uh, behind the show, how she was bothered by the motives and methods of the show's bosses. Uh, she described the showrunner as a man with a vacuum in place of a soul. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I worked with some really good people in that business, but yeah, those people exist too, a lot of them. Uh, Claire describes how the young Amish-raised people recruited into the show were basically characters in a scripted drama orchestrated from afar, She said producers didn't talk about right and wrong so much as what they could get away with legally. She said a common refrain around the production office was, well, the Amish don't sue. 
Uh, right? And because they wouldn't sue, they crossed a lot of legal lines. She said the show had a dilemma early on. Amish youth were reluctant to speak about uh, juicier topics, needed to build tension, drive the narrative. So producers, you know, created drama through manufactured plot lines. Uh-huh. She said that by the time she started working on the show, it was already pretty scripted because none of the Amish youths were willing to talk about, you know, things that were exceptionally dramatic. Some had traumatic pasts, caused them to leave their communities, but didn't want to talk about it. So the producer started steering the ship, doing things like pressuring cast members to, uh, you know, encourage other Amish friends to run away from their families. Uh, producers would provide them with cars, film them going to steal away their friends in the dead of night. Some of these friends were underage. Claire said producers fudged their birth dates on documents uh, to avoid trying to get parental permission they wouldn't get. Uh, and they, you know, risk these people getting shunned for doing this kind of stuff. If true, I, I don't doubt it's possibly true. You know, uh, that's pretty shady even for reality TV. Uh, she said that when Amish cast members refused to do certain things, producers showed them contracts they'd signed. Uh, and some of these people were, you know, barely literate. They knew they didn't understand the fine print because they hadn't gone to school past the eighth grade. Producers made them feel like they would be sued if they didn't play along. That pressure led to some tragic results. Amish youth Cephas Yonder was uh, a 19-year-old on the show. He died in a car crash, allegedly driving recklessly for some show-related reason. 17-year-old cast member had already survived a major car accident, featured in an earlier episode. And the producers didn't discourage any of this reckless behavior. On the contrary, footage was coming back to the production office from the backseat of cars being driven by these, uh, you know, Amish teenagers racing well over the speed limit. Producers knew they were dealing with teens who were being incredibly reckless, teens who had just lost their families, connections to their past lives, who didn't know much about living in the modern world, and they encouraged them to do dangerous shit for better ratings. They took advantage of them. I believe it. Claire came into the office to the news that Cephas had been killed during the night, and the production team was already plotting how to work Cephas' death into a dramatic storyline for better ratings. She said they chose to make him a centerpiece for the rest of the season. After that show wrapped up, according to Claire, producers did nothing to help heal the fractured relationships between youths and their communities. And then Claire was uh, given an offer to continue working with the company in a promoted position on another reality show about gypsies, the Roma people. Uh, she decided, uh, you know, instead to teach English in Mexico for less money, but more peace of mind. And I bring all this up, not to just show that the Amish have been portrayed, you know, uh, poorly in reality TV, but because it illustrates to me the much bigger problem of what happens to Amish youth who leave their communities uh, when they're shunned, right? They just don't know how the outside world works. Of course, they're going to be taken advantage of, right? They're ripe for the taking. That's a real problem with the Amish in my mind. Okay. Some little detours there, I know. But if, uh, if reality TV and pop culture has uh, given, I'm guessing, the overwhelming majority of us uh, an image of who the Amish are, while some elements of this presentation has been true, much of it has been fabricated, distorted, exaggerated, who are the Amish really? To figure this out, let's now dive into the history of the Amish, how they evolved out of a small Protestant group called the Anabaptists during the Protestant Reformation in Europe. After going over their history, we'll dive into their culture, lifestyle, ways of dress, and more. We'll spend a lot of time talking about Rumspringa, that time when Amish teens get to experiment with the outside world, uh, including debunking some myths that reality TV shows and documentaries have peddled and sensationalized. Uh, we'll talk about serious problems in the Amish community, how certain communities have struggled with drug use despite uh, strong efforts to keep their distance from the outside world. We'll talk about, sadly, a lot of sexual abuse allegations and a pattern of cover-ups that reminds me more of the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, their sexual abuse scandals, than I would like it to. And we'll talk about the horrific practice of shunning. So let's start with that history, much of which uh, will be covered chronologically in today's time, so timeline, but but first, uh, some primer info. Uh, the Amish originated in the late 17th century. Their earliest adherents were followers of Jacob Amon, the man who the Amish get their name from. Uh, we'll dig into the super fun, hard party, and very wise and logical man in the timeline. For right now, Jacob Amon was an Anabaptist leader who took a harder, more conservative line, read even less fun than other fun haters, on many religious practices 
than a lot of his, uh, you know, already antiphon Anabaptist contemporaries. Who are the Anabaptists? The Anabaptists started out as, uh, you know, one of many small Protestant sects born out of the Protestant Reformation. And the Protestant Reformation was a huge religious reform movement that swept through Europe in the 1500s, right? It resulted in the creation of uh, the gigantic branch of Christianity known as Protestantism, a name used collectively to refer to the many, many, many different religious groups that separated from the Roman Catholic Church due to differences in doctrine. And in some cases, due to the support of leaders who wanted to get out from the thumb of the incredibly uh, powerful and oppressive Catholic Church. Let the Protestants flourish in your land and you don't have to deal with the Pope telling you how to live your life anymore. It was a big hashtag, nope, Pope movement. Back in the 16th century in Europe, a lot of biblical scholars decided that the Catholic Church was uh, doing a lot of shit wrong. And because they got some rulers to agree with them, they uh, felt okay publicly rallying against the Catholic Church. They weren't as worried about being burned alive anymore. But of course, you know, many would be burned alive, uh, not just by Catholics, but also by other Protestants who also thought the Catholic Church was doing shit way wrong, but also thought uh, that these other reformers were uh, wrong about God's will as well. So, you know, you got to burn them or stone them or drown them. For most of Europe's history, since the first few uh, centuries CE, there has never been a time when uh, quite a few people were not being killed in ways reminiscent of how some people died in last week's prison riot suck. The Protestant Reformation began in Wittenberg, uh, Wittenberg, Germany, uh, August 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther, former male stripper, nudie Mac photographer, uh, became a uh, teacher and then a monk, maybe I lied about the first two jobs, and published a document he called Disputation on the Power of Indulgences, or 95 Theses, or Theses, 95 Theses. The document was a series of 95 ideas about Christianity uh, that he invited people to debate with him. These ideas were controversial because they directly contradicted the Catholic Church's teachings. And the Pope loved this document. He was like, finally, all I've ever wanted was to be theologically challenged. Yeah, let's have a logical discussion about God's will. Discourse, that's what I love, right? So sick of everyone just doing what I say because they're worried about being brutally tortured or murdered. I like this Martin Luther guy. He's got some balls and God loves a man with a big old set of balls. Uh, No, he fucking hated it. And he invited Luther to come talk to him about it. Let's come come talk. And had Luther done that, he would have almost certainly been burned alive. Had Luther left Germany, uh, you know, where some nobility backed him, including some powerful princes, you know, he would have certainly been killed. Luther's statements challenged the Catholic Church's role as an intermediary between people and God, specifically when it came to this indulgent system, which in part allowed people to purchase a certificate of pardon for punishment of their sins. Luther argued against the practice of buying or earning forgiveness believing instead that salvation is a gift God gives to those who have faith. And since the Pope couldn't get a hold of him and kill him, he had him excommunicated. By his death in 1546, his ideas had significantly altered the course of Western thought. These indulgences where you could pay to have your family member, you know, get into heaven or yourself, having priests as a mediator between normal people's relationship with God, uh, they were rubbing more and more people in Europe the wrong way. I kind of like the indulgences part, right? Pay to play, baby. Live how you want to live. Hail Lucifina. And you give a priest, slip him a little cash, and bada boom, bada bing, you get a golden ticket to heaven. Fuck yeah, bro. Uh, Protestant reform in England began with uh, King Henry VIII in 1534 uh, because the Pope would not grant him a marriage annulment. Subsequently, King Henry rejected the Pope's authority, instead creating an assuming authority over the Church of England, kind of a hybrid church, combined Catholic doctrine and Protestant ideals. Over the next 20 years, there was religious turbulence in England as Queen Mary reinstated Catholicism, uh, you know, while persecuting and Killing Protestants only have Queen Elizabeth I and her parliament attempt to lead the country back towards Protestantism during her reign. 
Some English citizens did not believe Queen Elizabeth's efforts to restore England to Protestantism went far enough. These citizens fell into two groups, right? Starts to fracture early on. Both labeled Puritans by their opponents. The first group, known as separatists, believed the Church of England was so corrupt, their only choice was to leave England. Separate from the church, start a new church. Other group became the Calvinists. And the fracturing really, you know, gets going. Uh, Some people break away from the Catholic Church to create a new way of worshiping the Christian God. Then those people can't agree on how to do that. So they split into more groups of Christians with slightly different doctrines. Then their descendants disagree further. More denominations spring up. More denominations have never stopped springing up. And one of them is the Amish, right? Some other Anabaptist denominations were uh, Mennonites, the Brethren, Hutterites. Outside of the Amish, we'll only really explain who the Mennonites are since they most often get, uh, you know, mixed up with the Amish. Uh, Now today we have more than 45,000 different Christian denominations, including over a dozen different Amish subgroups because the Amish have been unable to agree on how you're supposed to be Amish. The Protestant Reformation gave the world plainer, less ornate Christian churches so worshipers in theory could focus more on the relationship with God, not on the scenery. The Reformation uh, led to many worshipers having more personal religious experiences instead of relying on priests telling them, you know, whether or not they were saved. So where did the Anabaptists fit into all this? Well, there are some different beliefs as to their origin that vary slightly. I'll give the most accepted version. They had a specific beef with the Catholic Church. They did not like at all how small Pope Clement VII's balls were. It was that simple. They just didn't, they didn't find him to be godly, right? If you don't know, the Catholic Church has always weighed their Pope's balls during their first day on the job. There's a book in a secure section of the Vatican Library that lists the weight of every pair of Pope's balls, the book of God's balls. They've averaged around four ounces, just slightly over, around 4.1 ounces, uh, which I know isn't much, but we're not talking about the dick, just the balls and the sack, but not the taint, just the ball sack, which is hard to set on a scale alone, obviously, because it's attached to the body and the dick. So some of the weight isn't being, you know, measured properly, but early Catholics developed some sort of infallible God uh, ball scale uh, device that I guess is fairly accurate. And how big was Pope Clement VII's ball sack? Just under two ounces. That's not big. Real small balls. And from what I've read, also had a super tight sack. And the Anabaptists were like, how? How can this man speak for God? His balls are too small. His sack is too tight. Right? He doesn't command respect. His words don't carry enough weight. The pitch of his voice is too high. The bulge behind his Pope robe is non-existent. This is ridiculous. Of course, he didn't say that. That's not the reason. I just said that because, you know, I'm probably mentally ill. Just four years after Martin Luther published the Disputation on the Power of Indulgences, uh, the document that kicked off the Reformation, the same year the Lutheranism was being formed, some Swiss German guys were like, we like breaking away from the Catholic Church too. Oh, heck yeah, bro. But we don't like all the same shoot those Lutheran mother truckers like. I wish that was an exact quote. Uh, One of those guys was Ulrich Zwingli. Unfortunate name. The Swiss Martin Luther. Uh, born around the same time, started to rebel against Catholicism around the same time. By 1522, a man who had long studied theology and philosophy, 40-year-old pastor and Swiss nationalist living in Zurich, Zwingli was on a path of reform, openly criticizing such Catholic practices as tithes, the mass, and especially infant baptism, right? He thought there should not be saintly images in church, idolatry. He thought pastors should marry, no more celibacy, time to get those godly weans cleaned. He also didn't make a lot of friends outside of Zurich had no Lutheran allies. And when he pushed Zurich officials into implementing a food blockade against some nearby pro-Catholic forces, those dudes broke up the blockade with force. Zwingli died in 1531 at the age of 47 fighting them. He's listed on parts of the interwebs as the first Anabaptist martyr, but that's not true. Others uh, were killed before him. Uh, But the defining belief of the Anabaptists, uh, you know, he had a hand in creating that movement 
was that, yeah, belief concerning baptism, namely that it only applied to adults. They didn't think it made sense to be baptized as a baby because babies don't choose to accept Christ or not as their savior, which is fair, actually. Logical, right? In that sense, uh, they believe that only an adult man can make that choice. Or I want to say man, bah, adult person, uh, which does make more sense. And also, you know, to be fair, they fucking hated babies. Early Anabaptists reportedly killed about a third of their babies out of sheer baby hate. The other two thirds of their babies uh, raised by strangers. Babies would be taken from mothers by relatives who gave those babies to strangers, who then gave those babies to still other strangers so the parents could never find them because if they did, holy shit, bloodthirsty Anabaptists would fucking destroy those babies. But seriously, uh, they believed that true baptism re- required a public confession of both sin and faith, which can only be accomplished as an adult exercise of free will. Uh, the Amish tradition of Rumspringa is actually based on this Anabaptist belief. Turn 16, go have your fun, and then if you want to be saved, you have to choose to be baptized into the Amish lifestyle. So what happens to the souls of Amish children who die then before baptism? Well, they obviously burn in hell forever, right? You don't want to die before the age of 16 if you're Amish because God in his glory and wisdom will burn the ever-loving fuck out of you. Uh, no. Uh, early Anabaptists came to the conclusion that Amish babies, toddlers, children, young teens, they just, uh, they just get to go to heaven. Do all Amish still believe that? Eh, not sure. You know, a real problem with explaining Amish beliefs is the fact that the Amish have no central church government. They don't write a lot of shit down. Each assembly is autonomous, you know, has its own governing authority, uh, makes them very different from other conservative religious groups we've covered who are somewhat fringe, like Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Thus, every local church maintains an individual set of rules adhering uh, to its own ord- ordnung, a set of rules, usually just, uh, you know, verbal, which may vary from district to district as each community administers its own guidelines. These rules largely, you know, yeah, unwritten. So super fun. Uh, not going to be confusing at all when you're part of a religious order who doesn't like to write shit down and still has a lot of rules decided by bishops uh, chosen randomly by their communities. Mention more on that later. Ordnung, uh, by the way, old German word for why the fuck are we doing this? This shit is silly, unnecessary. No, it's an old German word for order, discipline, rule, arrangement, organization, or system. Another defining characteristic of early Anabaptists, their strong belief in the separation of church and state. Anabaptists believe Christians are under the loyalty of Jesus Christ alone and your nationality comes a uh, distant second to that loyalty. And that shit annoys me. Like the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Amish, do not, they don't give a fuck about the United States or any other country they live in, but mostly they live in the United States. Uh, and I do not find that admirable, right? They directly benefit from living in America, came here for religious freedom, a freedom that many, you know, other early Americans died fighting for, but they didn't. They will never fight to defend the freedom they enjoy. They won't serve in the military. They do pay property and income tax, but uh, if self-employed, don't pay social security and other taxes. And I think all that's bullshit. Be part of the country or get the fuck out. It, it feels parasitic to me. Pay the same as everyone else uh, to enjoy the same freedoms or, you know, go get fucked, get deported. Uh, after the Anabaptist movement began in Zurich as an offshoot of church reforms instigated by Ulrich Zwingli, it quickly spread to... Uh, Moravia, historical region east of the, Czech, uh, of the Czech Republic and throughout Germany. And because we meet Sacks have such a hard time getting along with each other historically, many other Protestants and Catholics, not big fans of this new group. Roman Catholics, other Protestants uh, alike persecuted the Anabaptists in the 16th century, resorting to torture and execution and attempts to curb the growth of this movement. Uh, Felix Mons became the first Anabaptist martyr in 1527. What led to his execution, to me, epitomizes so much of what scares me about organized religion. The veins of madness that seem to almost always run inside of it. Uh, Felix was an early follower of Zwingli in Zurich. 
He was following uh, him by 1519. Three years before, he was openly defying the Catholic Church. Uh, Like Zwingli, he also didn't believe in infant baptism. Really wasn't a fan. And then in 1525, the Zurich City Council was like, you guys have to baptize your kids, right? So he he didn't baptize his. Enough of this, wait until you're an adult bullshit. And Zwingli was like, okay, fine. You know, I'll bite my tongue on this issue for a bit. I don't like it, but you know, I'll follow the law of the land for the time being, but you know, still grumble about it. But then Felix was like, no, uh-uh. Zwingli, you're a boon looking bitch. Fuck him. We're not baptizing our kids, period. And we are going to rebaptize adults and do our new shit. And if you don't like that, you can suck our Anabaptist dicks. And then Zwingli was like, whoa, whoa, I, come on, easy. Let's, uh, let's try a different way. Uh, I, I can't condone this uh, attitude, right? There's got to be a better way to bring about change. And then Felix and two other dudes were now like, shut the fuck up, Zwingli. Now you're out. We don't like you anymore. We started following you, but now we're going to do our own thing. You're in bed with City Hall. We're breaking away from your movement, which is not really a movement because just some ideas you've been tossing around, but we don't think you're committed enough to thoughts you're tinkering with. Viva la revolution. And then the Zurich City Council was like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? Everybody breathe. Calm, let's sit on this for a second. Stop rebaptizing people, right? Baptize your babies. For, for right now, we're baptizing babies, not adults who are already baptized as babies. And then Felix made a fart noise. And they're like, who, hey, hey who was that? Was that you, Felix? And he's like, no, that wasn't me. But then he giggled. And they're like, it was you. Get out of here. You're a menace. And then he left, but not before making another fart noise as he walked out the door or something like that. That was the gist of how things went down with some embellishments. March 7th, 1526, the Zurich Council passes an edict that makes adult rebaptism now punishable by drowning. They're sick of it. They're tired of Felix and his friends' baptism bullshit. But the edict doesn't stop Felix. He keeps doing it. And so, you know, fucking kill him. People didn't play with crime and punishment back then. January 5th, 1527, Felix was taken onto a boat onto the river Lamat, which flows out of Lake Zurich. His hands were bound, pulled behind his knees. A pole was placed between him and they fucking dipped him in the water and drowned him, right? Better than burning, I guess, I think. I don't want to test either method. Uh, now Felix considered the first Anabaptist martyr and the Amish, big Felix fans. They're like, yeah, you did the right thing. Then on March 20th, 1527, Roman Catholic authorities execute uh, uh, another Anabaptist, make another martyr, Michael Sattler. Right, this uh, guy got swept up in this whole baptizing babies is bullshit. Only adults should be baptized. Movement. Hashtag no more water for babies. Right, he got caught up in uh, Zurich in 1526. Took those beliefs to Germany and Austria. No more water for babies. Keep babies dry. God forbids babies from ever touching water. I'm not giving the most accurate portrayal right now. Just uh, just against baptizing babies, of course. Pretty fucked up to try and start a don't give babies any water movement. Right, that movement would reach its peak when all the babies are gone. And then there's just a bunch of old people. And they're like, yeah, we did it. Now who's going to take care of us? Uh, Michael Sattler was arrested in Austria under the orders of Archduke Ferdinand, future Holy Roman Emperor, big Pope guy, who had declared drowning illegal also, right? Uh, Called satirically the third baptism. He said the best antidote to anabaptism is to uh, baptize him a third time. And that is pretty darkly funny. I mean, he had to have gotten whatever the 16th century equivalent to a high five was for saying that shit. He had been pretty proud of himself. For joking about how the best way to get rid of rebaptizers was to give them a very aggressive third baptism. I bet when the Pope heard about that, he was like, ha, ah, that's good shit, Felix. That's clever. I like it. I like it. You just earned yourself an indulgence. <laughs> ah, until I say different, you got a golden ticket to heaven. In England, beginning with the reign of King Edward VI, ending with the reign of Queen Elizabeth I from 1547 to 1603, uh, the British also hardcore per- uh, persecuted Anabaptists. They were deemed too radical. They were a danger to religious stability. Thousands of Anabaptists were persecuted and executed in various parts of Europe between 1525 and 1660. Roughly 4,000 were burned alive. Many others were stoned to death. 
Uh, all because, you know, mostly they disagreed on when people are supposed to be baptized. Think about how fucking insane that is. That's the madness in religion I spoke of. If it wasn't for current secular laws, I wonder how much burning and stoning would go on around the world today, right? How much uh, of that would be motivated by minor theological disagreements? I think quite a bit. I think a savage heart still beats in many of us, myself included, right? Fear of legal consequences certainly kept me from doing some crazy shit moments. Uh, Fear of theological consequences has led to so many other people doing so much crazy shit. Uh, It was this continuing persecution in Europe that was largely responsible for the mass immigration to the new world of North, uh, you know, uh, North America by the Amish and Mennonites and other religious groups. Okay, let's break down the difference between Amish and Mennonites now. As it happened uh, historically, since those two groups, you know, still get confused all the time. Like the Amish, Mennonites trace their roots back to early Anabaptists. The Amish morphed out of a group of uh, Swiss and uh, Alsatian Mennonite Anabaptists in the late 17th century. The Mennonites came first, a group founded by following the teachings of a former Catholic priest, uh, Menno Simons, living in modern-day Netherlands, then the Holy Roman Empire. He became an Anabaptist a few years after first hearing about all this rebaptism shit. Uh, he heard about it for the first time in 1531. Uh, Menno was born around 1496 in the little village of uh, Wittmarsen in the Dutch province of Friesland. Historians think that his parents were probably dairy farmers. And that his mom was a fucking smoke show. Holy shit. Thin Audrey Hepburn frame. Super perky A-cup breasts. Great legs. Long and thin. But with some meat on the thighs. Curving nicely up the back to her peach-shaped ass. Delicate ankles. Love to wear stiletto heels. Lacy panties under micro skirts. Hail Lucifina. Uh, I have no idea how his mom looked. Probably uh, pious and plain and uh, very unattractive by today's standards. Menno didn't enter the priesthood until the age of 28. And at first, this priest thought Anabaptism was crazy talk. But then his brother converted to being an Anabaptist. Then his brother was killed for his Anabaptist beliefs in 1535. He was just minding his own, no water for babies business, and they killed him. Well, he wasn't minding his own business, actually. Uh, He he was killed for being an Anabaptist. uh, Not just that, though. He was killed for being part of a violent Anabaptist revolt in which a Catholic monastery was captured and a bunch of monks were taken hostage. And local Catholics, as you can imagine, they didn't care for that. And that rebellion was squashed by pro-Catholic troops and the rebels were, you know, executed. And that pissed Menno the frick off. It made his priest's heart sad and he had a spiritual crisis. And then in 1536, he converted to, excuse me, uh, Anabaptism as well. You know, why wouldn't he? After seeing how well it worked out for his brother. Uh, unlike his brother, Menno was not a violent man. And maybe because he wasn't violent, he was never executed. He would live until 1561, spending his last 25 years on earth, getting excommunicated, then married, then having three kids helping form a new vision of Christianity based on adult baptism, pacifism, uh, being able to fuck your wife, and simple, humble, pious living. And followers of his teachings would become the Mennonites. During the 1700s and 1800s, many Mennonites would flee religious turmoil in Europe and seek religious freedom in the New World. Most of those people settled in Pennsylvania. Uh, Succeeding generations would move across the Midwest. Many Mennonites settled in Ohio, first arriving during the early 1800s. Uh, They originally settled in modern-day Stark, Wayne, Holmes, Knox counties. Most Mennonites today earn their living through agriculture. Today, there are more than 500,000 Mennonites spread out across North America. Uh, Ethiopia has uh, over 310,000. India has almost 260,000. Democratic Republic of the Congo has over 225,000. Canada has almost 150,000. Indonesia has over 100,000. Drops off quite a bit from there. Uh, Thailand, Germany, Paraguay, Mexico, Bolivia. Few other countries have over 25,000. Outside of Germany, no European countries have a sizable population. There are only a very, uh, you know, 
very few small congregations in the Netherlands where it all began. So many groups fled Europe in the 16th, 17th, 18th, even 19th centuries, and their numbers have never recovered. And again, in the late 17th century, as we're about to cover in the timeline, some Mennonites then became Amish, another one of those fractures. Uh, Today, the greatest difference between the Amish and Mennonites uh, stems mainly from, you know, practice rather than beliefs. Amish groups tend to shy away from technology and involvement with the greater world by addressing plane, using, you know, scooters and buggies for transportation. Most Mennonites have embraced uh, some of the world's technologies and stressed the importance of missionary work, helping to spread their faith, right, to over 50 countries around the world. Uh, Mennonites are more organized. They have more national get-togethers to talk about church policy, missionary goals, education, you know, fucking cool-ass bonnets, fun colors for suspenders, etc. Think of them as just being uh, much more traditionally Protestant than the Amish. They even have some colleges like uh, Bethel College in North Newton, Kansas. You know, not anti-secular education like the Amish are. Very conservative, but not against, you know, uh, some non-Bible book learning. They're pacifists like the Amish. They do abstain from fighting, but will serve the military in other ways if drafted. Uh, they don't shun their youth, which I like a lot. They don't dress like the Amish. Not, you know, usually. Traditional Mennonite women will keep their hair tied back or covered by a small white prayer cap to symbolize reverence and the importance of the spiritual life, but not all of them. Black bonnets uh, are worn by female Mennonites that are unmarried in many groups, uh, signifying that they're trolling for that single hard dick. I mean, it signifies they're open and interested in obtaining a husband. Uh, Male and female Mennonites tend to dress plainly, long dresses, suspenders, plain black slacks. They stress modesty and conformity. You know, don't try and stand out, look better than other Mennonites. Don't be vain. But from what I can gather, while that's strongly encouraged in many communities, you're not going to get kicked out for wearing, you know, Doc Martens. Or, or jeans. It varies a lot from church to church. Uh, now, many modern uh, Mennonite churches actually have no dress codes, even for women. Uh, they're like Amish light, similar. A lot of the same co- uh, core theological beliefs, but but way less heavy, not nearly as strict. They allow for more joy. Same great flavor, way less rules. And I'd explain more, but this is not a Mennonite suck. Gosh dang, uh, it's about the Amish. So let's, uh, let's back up, take a look at our main subject. Uh, time for today's shorter than normal time suck timeline. After a mid-show sponsor break featuring ads that will appeal to zero Amish listeners. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out, sleep, read a book, play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, 
is that there's always a catch. So when you hear that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably thinking, what's the catch? Well, there isn't one, really. They cut the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. It's pretty simple. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month and no catch. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts over. And in addition to saving money, like over a 50% price drop from what I was paying before, the network quality, in my experience, is better than it was with my old service provider. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash timesuck. That's mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Thanks to Rocket Money, I canceled a membership to a gym I used to go to where I continued to pay a monthly membership for a couple of years after I stopped going. I didn't even recognize the charge. Rocket Money found it though, and it was canceled. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. That's rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. Rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. I still love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but I'd stopped eating them almost entirely a while back because the bread on top of the sugar from the jelly made me so sleepy. All those carbs causing me to want to take a nap after eating them. Enter Hero Bread. Hero Bread takes the fear of carbs out of bread, but still leaves you with that delicious bread taste. Hero Bread has 0 to 1 gram of net carbs, 0 grams of sugar, and it's high in fiber. It's also delicious and flavorful. The soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying a savory breakfast burrito or mouth-watering cheeseburger. There is something for every craving, including sliced bread loaves, buns, and tortillas. And there are monthly small batch drops of indulgent favorites, like the 2 grams of Net Carbs Hero Croissant, or the 1 gram of Net Carbs Hero Cheddar Biscuit. I had a loaf of Hero Classic White Bread delivered last week. Soft, fluffy, and delicious. 5 grams of protein per slice, and it's high in fiber. And the best part? Hero Bread doesn't taste healthy. It tastes like bread. It's great. Don't give up on being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use code TIMESUCK at checkout. That's TIMESUCK at H-E-R-O dot C-O. Hope you heard about something that appealed to you. Sorry we have no sponsors that sell horses or lamps that run on whale oil. Uh, let's now head to the 17th century. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a TIMESUCK timeline. February 12, 1644, Jacob Amon, born in Erlenbach, Erlenbach im Cemental, Switzerland, to Michael and Anna Amon. And uh, Anna 
Hot as fuck. Real curvy, sexy, thick-ass thighs. Her nickname for her thighs was earmuffs. Uh, She had great big breasts. Uh, She'd often joke about how she was surprised that Jacob and her other children ever made it out of infancy. Uh, She was worried that they would starve thanks to how much her husband, Michael, uh, sucked on her titties. JK. Uh, (laughs) These conservative religious MILF descriptions uh, just, you know, they made me laugh harder at myself than it's probably healthy when I was putting that together late last night. I have no idea how Anna looked. Probably, probably like a female Randy Quaid in Kingpin. Uh, Jacob was third in a family of six children. He probably didn't have much of a formal education. On 37 official documents signed by Jacob, only his initials appear, with most of them having a nearby note that Jacob uh, not able to write. So he could just make his mark. So likely that, at least as a young man, uh, he was illiterate. And that's how you know that your religion was founded on solid intellectual principles. When your founder had, you know, what sounds like a second or third grade education. Uh, Jacob will get married to Verena Studler, very little known, uh, you know, very little is known, excuse me, about her uh, beyond her name. Uh, some think that she invented the dildo and the microkini, though. I'll try and stop. These two had at least one daughter, one son, Baltz. <laughs> Not making that up. His, his, uh, his real first name is Baltz, as in drop the T and his son's name was Baltz. Because of the scarcity of materials, very little is actually known about uh, Ball's father, Jacob Amon's teachings and uh, day-to-day life. Uh, three letters comprise the whole of his first-hand accounts of his thought. Good thing he learned how to write a little bit. His first letter was sent to a group of Swiss brethren, another Anabaptist variant that started in Zurich as well. Uh, pretty similar to Mennonites. Actually, the Anabaptists started out as uh, Swiss brethren. Uh, then some became Mennonites. Uh, then some of those became Amish, you know, split, 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 fracture, fracture, fracture. It gets a little dizzying. Uh, from Jacob's letters, historians have learned that he was a firm disciplinarian, uncompromised at what he believed and expected others to conform to the teachings of Christ and his apostles. So he sounds like Super fun guy to spend time with. Probably loved to joke around. Quick to laugh. Probably hugged his kids a lot. Reminded them how much he loved them. I bet he was a super fun grandpa, right? Snuck the kids candy when no one else was around. Uh, He believed that whoever accepted the true saving faith would be baptized upon that faith, cost what it may. Uh, They would forsake the world and practice a very practical, total separation in their everyday life. Jacob was hardcore, right? He was quick to disregard longstanding customs and practices if he didn't think they were founded on God's word. Well, he wasn't big on compromising his beliefs and his beliefs did differ from many of the Anabaptists around him. Uh, he was stricter. Uh, he also denied that he was trying to start a new faith, but he kind of was. He ended up doing that. Uh, he, just, he said he just really wanted to get salvation right, right? He believed in a new birth experience that would radically change a person. He wrote, if a miser does not turn from his fornication and a drunkard from his drunkenness or other immoralities, they are thereby separated from the kingdom of God. And if he does not improve himself through a pious, penitent life, such a person is no Christian and will not inherit the kingdom of God. No oh boy. How much misery has been spread in the name of hardcore saving people from hell? Right? Fornicating and drinking are two of my favorite things to do. Uh, irresponsible fornication drinking. Yeah, that can ruin your life. But so can religion. All good things in moderation, including religion and drinking and fucking. But not for Jacob. Uh, you know, it would be very, very pious, forsake the world or burn in hell. Amen. Uh, like a lot of these early Anabaptists, you know, he ruffled a lot of feathers in Switzerland. June 1680, government correspondences from officials in the uh, rural Swiss area of Oberhofen, where Jacob lived, asked counsel from authorities in Bern how to deal with the man who had, quote, become infected with the Anabaptist sect. Doesn't sound like they were big fans of Anabaptists. Uh, the 36-year-old was not quiet about his beliefs. He was irritating the shit out of a lot of others. Right? A lot of Swiss had converted to uh, Calvinism during the Reformation. There was a lot of Calvinist and Anabaptist tension. There had been violence on both sides. Not all uh, early Mennonites were uh, pacifists. 
Uh, what do they disagree on? Well, I, I would fully explain it, but it would take forever, and it's fucking boring. Uh, they basically had some different ideas about God's plan for the salvation of humanity, about the meaning and celebration of the sacraments, on the spiritual real presence of Christ at the Lord's Supper, theories of worship, purpose and meaning of baptism, right? right. Yet another group of meat sacks historically willing to kill other meat sacks over slightly different interpretations of nonsensical scripture that meant everything to them. This is obviously what Matthew is saying in this verse. And if you don't agree, you're a godless heretic and you need to die. Uh, this June 1680 correspondence is the first known reference to uh, Amon as an Anabaptist. On March 12, 1671, a document notes him as the sponsor for a baptism in the state church, which would have been Calvinist, uh, meaning he converted sometime between 1671 and 1680. And then he would split off from the Anabaptists around him. Right, The split began in 1693 when Jacob sent a general letter to people in Swiss Anabaptist congregations asking for a meeting in which he wanted clarification about where they stood on three issues that were very important to him. One, shunning those who had been banned. Two, whether liars should be excommunicated. And three, if people could be saved who did not follow God's word. Damn, they wanted to excommunicate liars and get firmer on shunning. I'm just going to say what I hope many of you are thinking. This guy sounds like a real cunt. Uh, this last issue was referring to a notion of God saving good-hearted people, meaning that some Anabaptists at that time felt that those who sympathized with Anabaptists even helped them in times of persecution, but who did not take the step of rebaptism, could they still receive God's grace? A lot of Anabaptists thought they could, but Jacob was like, fuck that shit. You're all in or you're down in the fiery pit. Amon also insisted that uh, any excommunicated church member should be shunned socially, right? Don't just excommunicate them, right? Never fucking talk to them again. And that anyone who lied should be excommunicated. So very hardcore. No lies at all? What if someone of the uh, thicker persuasion were to ask you if their bonnet made their face look fat? And it really, really did, undeniably. You get kicked out of the flock and thus basically sent to hell for telling them, no, 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 you you look great. Uh, the people who sided with uh, Amon felt that good-hearted people should not be looked upon and consoled as saved unless they took up the cross and followed Christ and rebaptism and obedience to all of God's teachings, right? Being nice, not enough. Sure, you helped my family uh, not get killed, but God doesn't give a fuck about that, snowflake. God wants you to be obedient. So get down on your knees and suck God's cock or something like that uh, to solve these issues. That was probably fun for the neighbors to hear. Uh, to solve these issues, Jacob Amon and another Anabaptist, Nicholas Augsburger, were chosen by a ministerial committee to travel to Switzerland for a meeting with church leaders to find out where the Swiss congregation stood on these topics. At first, few of the Swiss ministers uh, agreed with Amon's view, but in a later meeting, another Anabaptist named Hans Reist would not agree with social avoidance, citing Matthew chapter 15, verse 17. Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught. Uh, okay, he got, he got that message from that verse. What the fuck does that verse even mean? Uh, I'm not sure what shitting out digested food has to do with whether or not you should shun non-believers. Uh, I'm sure that's been interpreted to mean about a thousand different things. Uh, another meeting was called in which Hans Reist does not show up. He said it was busy. Oh shit. Jacob just got dissed. Jacob gets irritated, proceeds to announce that Hans has now been excommunicated from a new church he's in charge of. So fuck yeah, bro. I rebuke you, Hans. Power move. If you don't agree with me, well, you get banished, dickwad. Uh, when Amon questioned some of the other Swiss ministers at the meeting uh, about where they stood on issues, they pleaded for time to consult with their congregations. This pissed him off more. He thought it was weak. So now he proceeds to announce the excommunication of six of the other ministers. Boom. Take that, you wishy-washy bitches. 
Dude's handing out damnation, like Oprah, handing out cars. You go to hell, you go to hell, and you go to hell, and you. Amon and the four men with him then left, quote, without shaking hands with anyone. Sick burn, mic drop, right? Those fucks wouldn't play by his made up rules. He would take his toys and go home. This is great. This, this is what God wants. Pompous dickheads. That is how you represent God's will. Uh, these excommunications created a, a definite breach within the Swiss Anabaptist movement. A lot of people didn't like what Jacob was doing. And he got some shit from other Anabaptists. So in February of 1700, he and several co-ministers of a new Anabaptist congregation he's partially in charge of removed their, you know, childish excommunications of other Swiss ministers and plot twist, they now excommunicate themselves in recognition that they'd acted too rashly and had, quote, grievously erred. Uh, what? They they excommunicated themselves? Is Is that a thing? I don't think that's a thing. Several sources state this, and it feels like some bullshit. I'm guessing it was Amon's way of breaking away to have his own church. Basically like the, the religious equivalent of, of a classic breakup line. No, it's not you. It's, 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 not, it's not you, it's me. Some weird, like, I'm not dumping you. I'm dumping myself. Uh, Amon and his buddies, uh, you know, never could come to an agreement with other Swiss Anabaptists on the matter of shunning, specifically, and the Amish, Amon's followers, were born. And what a shitty origin story. They split off because, as I see it, they were the most unreasonable dickheads. They created a new group based on arguably the worst, most cult-like trait, right? Not loving uh, the Amish as a religious organization right now. I'm sure many of them are great people, but their faith seems pretty fucked. Uh, not known when Jacob Amon died, but in 1730, his daughter requested baptism in the Reformed Church of Erdenbach and stated that her father had died. So, you know, the Amish, not great record keepers. You know, that's vanity to keep records. What do you, oh, you consider your deeds to be important? <laughs> Okay, pride, pride, pompous dickhead. Uh, after his death, Amish communities sprang up in Switzerland, uh, Alsace, Alsace, uh, Germany, Russia, Holland. I think it's Alsace. It's, I don't know. There were different pronunciations online. Uh, they were persecuted like many other weirdos. I mean, religious groups. And like many Puritans before them, some of these groups started looking across the pond for a land of religious freedom where they could take all their different kinds of crazy and infect a new country. That is still still dealing with, uh, you know, way too much, you know, hardcore conservative theological bullshit. Uh, Over three centuries later, we're still culturally riddled with sexual shame and guilt. uh, A lot of concern over God's wrath. Uh, Many of us still can't understand that uh, sexual persuasion is something you're born with, not a choice made because you let your spiritual guard down and Satan tricked you into thinking you wanted to play with people's naughty bits that look like your naughty bits. Uh, Thanks, Jacob, and others like you for helping us uh, fuck up so much of our culture. Under his eye, you insane zealot. Uh, in 1682, William Penn first arrived in America on the ship Welcome, founded Pennsylvania. As a Quaker, Penn promoted religious freedom in the colony that he created as a holy experiment. Pennsylvania became a refuge for people of all kinds of different religious denominations uh, who were being persecuted elsewhere, including the 13 German Mennonite families who arrived in Pennsylvania seeking religious freedom in 1683, thought to be the first Anabaptists headed on over here. They found a German town six miles north of Philadelphia. Then in 1737, the charming Nancy, fucking great ship name, uh, sets sail for North America from the Netherlands with 21 Amish families, America's first Amish. The Amish had only shown up in the Netherlands in 1711 after getting kicked the fuck out of Switzerland. Over the next three decades, about 100 Amish families would make the crossing. In 1749, Jacob Hertzler, the first well-known Amish bishop in North America, settled in North Kill Creek, Berks County, North Philadelphia. By 1850, 
3,000 Amish will have immigrated to North America from Europe. Eventually, literally all Amish people will leave Europe. Uh, By the mid-19th century, Amish communities in Pennsylvania and around the country established one-room public schools for their kids, which typically ran through the eighth grade, with one teacher for all students, uh, who wasn't teaching them much. In many areas, Amish and English children attended the same schools, uh, left around age 14 to work on their family farms, but that was not, you know, ideal, and they tried to avoid uh, mixing the Amish with other children. Uh, Schism and disruption occurs after 1850 in the Amish community because of some tension between a new order of Amish who are starting to accept social change and technological innovation and the old order or traditional Amish who were like, fuck machines. June of 1862 in various Amish settlements, various churches debate over dress code, separation from society, use of technology like photography. The intensifying debates culminate in the first all-church Amish ministers conference in Wayne County, Ohio, which would occur uh, you know, annually uh, until 1878. Or nearly annually. They missed a few years. 1865, the more conservative Amish departed that year's annual conference dissatisfied. And their dissatisfaction triggers a gradual but major division within Amish communities in North America. For the first time, the more conservative flank really becomes known as Old Order Amish. Because they cling to the Old Ordnung. The more progressive Amish become Amish Mennonites. And slowly, over several decades, just become assimilated into Mennonite churches. Uh, But the real changes were soon to come with the advent of some major techno- uh, technology, like the phone, the automobile, the telegraph, Amish, you know. They didn't always shun this technology, actually. Uh, for example, in the early 1900s, about 1.4 million telephones are in service across the country, including some in Amish homes. Party lines were shared by multiple families, but then several Amish groups began debating the danger that these home telephones were presenting to their communities. Brother Hezekiah Gaia! We must remove Alexander Graham Bell's Dial of Devil from our homes before crank calls defile our families with filth talk and lies. Three times this week, I have been called and asked if I have Prince Albert in the can. And if I say yes, they tell me to let him out. It's tobacco, not a man. But still they call. It must be one of Satan's tricks. On at least two occasions, I've been asked if my refrigerator is running. When I say I don't have a refrigerator, still they tell me to run and catch it. And one time I ran. I didn't even know where or why I was running. More devil's lies. I was so scared. Uh, the phones were removed. At this time, the Amish population in America numbered around 6,000. Over the next 30 years, it would more than double. While still concentrated in Pennsylvania and the Midwest, new Amish settlements are grown in Kansas, Ohio, Michigan, Iowa, Oklahoma, and Delaware. Uh, 1908, Henry Ford's Model T car debuts. It'll rapidly gain popularity in the coming years. Just a year later, about 20% of the old order church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, break away from a new peachy group of Amish, the peachy Peachy Amish, which will later join a group called the beachy Amish. That's a weird coincidence. Oh, the peachies and the beachies. Around 1927, it's based on their last names. Uh, These Amish, these breakaways were basically like, fuck horses and buggies. Come on. Have you seen these cars? We need to drive. And they will embrace most technology other than TVs and radios in the 20th century. Uh, they can use the internet today if it's filtered. Guessing Pornhub is blocked. Guessing AlohaTube.com though. Mm, that's a sneaky one. That one might not be. Pro tip for horny beachy Amish peeps who want to see what pro fucking can look like. Surprise, uh, surprise uh, uh, brother Leviticus a ding dong or sister uh, Magdalena Daya deep throat with some new moves. And unlike old order Amish, they stopped speaking Pennsylvania Dutch as their first language. Uh, This new Amish group, others like them, uh, also don't agree with the strict shunning policy, and they became more like Mennonites. And that'll happen a fair amount over the last, you know, 100, 200 years. Communities of Amish, you know, being like, I don't mind wearing bonnets, having a beard. Uh, I don't mind churning butter occasionally, but the shunning, 
I could do without that and fuck horses. And they just become basically Mennonites. 1910s, uh, old order Amish communities across North America decide over several years to forbid telephones in their homes. Although using a public telephone is permitted in most cases, uh, they also ban the ownership of automobiles, citing the risk that car ownership could encourage urban contacts and pull their community apart. Most Amish can still ride in a car as passengers under certain circumstances, like if they uh, need to go to the hospital. They weirdly do accept Western medicine, uh, but they may not uh, own or drive one. And then World War I would make life more complicated for the Amish. Late spring of 1917, U.S. begins a national conscription service. Some Amish boys receive exemptions for farm deferments as conscientious objectors, but others are required to report to army camps. Drafted Amish who refuse to enter armed service are sent to the army camps for non-combat service, uh, often subjected to abuse. Some members of the Amish community express concern over Amish boys being pulled away from the church, not returning to their home communities following their service. Yeah, I bet, I bet a lot of non-Amish also worried about their boys not returning home from war. Uh, guessing parents of all belief systems worried about that since that's a rational thing to worry about in a time of war. And the Amish were not being singled out, uh, you know, so how about they shut the fuck up? Uh, over the next 10 years, many Amish communities make the insane decision to ban connection to electrical grids. That's how the devil gets you, right? With Satan current pumped right into your home. First comes electricity, then comes the curling iron. Then comes dressing up like a harlot, wearing blouses and slacks and no bonnets. Then comes the radio with their 1920s big band sex songs. And pretty soon, you're having a dick train run on you behind the local bar. Choo-choo, dick train. Next stop, Lancaster County. Last stop, Sister Mary Adiakai Ebenezer's Vajayjay. To Uh, they continued to use electricity from batteries, though. That was never forbidden, right? Because God loves batteries. Anybody who knows anything about God knows God loves a battery. Uh, by this time, the old order Amish population in North America is nearly 10,000. 1921, Ohio's Bing Act mandates that children through age 18 must attend school. Oh, uh-oh. This goes against God's plan for the Amish. God wants the Amish to be super dumb. Old order Amish resist this new law. Right, because they believe children only need basic scholastic knowledge, reading, writing, arithmetic, right? They should learn all their other values and morals at home and they don't need history and anything else, right? And they don't want their, their fucking kids to be touched, you know, or looked at or hear filthy non-Amish children. Several Amish parents keep their older children out of school, prompting arrests, fines, and jail sentences. January of 1922, five Amish fathers arrested in homes in Wayne counties in Ohio for disregarding the Bing Act by keeping their teens at home. Years later, uh, the state will relax on this. Many years later, uh, homeschooling has actually only been legal in all 50 U.S. states since 1993. Uh, according to the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, home education was illegal in most states as recently as the early 1980s. Uh, right? Obviously, it was legal like at the beginning of the country's uh, history, but in the 20th century here. Uh, by 1989, only three states, Michigan, North Dakota, Iowa, still considered homeschooling a crime. Uh, over the next 20 years, many old order Amish communities banned the use of tractors and other self-propelled farm equipment now in their fields. New technology and equipment may be used in the field only if pulled by horses or mules. So saith the Lord. Yes, you can have some kind of mechanical tiller, of course, but a God horse has to pull it. Go, God horse, go. Uh, around this time, the beachy Amish, right? Those hedonistic liberal motherfuckers. They begin buying, driving their own automobiles. Oh, crossing this cultural boundary excludes them from the horse and buggy driving Amish crew who now shun them. Stay away from those beaches. Uh, this division will soon solidify the use of horse-drawn transportation as a key aspect of Amish identity for most Amish groups that has lasted until today. 
1937, the Pennsylvania State Legislature's plan to close 10 one-room schools and replace them with the Consolidated Elementary Building sparks outrage among the Amish community in the East Lampeter Township near Lancaster. The same year, the legislature lengthens the school year by one month to nine months, raises the age of compulsory attendance by a year to 15. Amish students had typically left school by the age of 14 to do farm work, and the Amish try to fight back. Brothers Jebadabadu and Methuselah Daya Ding Dong are not going to take this lion down. On September 14th, 1937, 16 Amish delegates, preachers, laymen from the Delegation for Common Sense Schooling, pff, common sense, get, get, get the fuck out of here, write a, a petition to regain control over the education of their children. They collect more than 3,000 signatures from people in surrounding communities who support their cause. And it works, sort of. In May of 1939, Pennsylvania state legislators pass a measure allowing 14-year-olds to leave school for farm and domestic work, but they still must go to school most of the time. But they can help on the farm a little, little bit of the time. Around that time, the Amish opened their first two private schools in the state. Backing up just a bit for a moment, uh, the last Amish settlement in Europe, located in Germany, merges with a local Mennonite congregation, assimilates into the Mennonites, January 17, 1937. Amish are in North America now for the moment, all of them. Uh, 1940s and 1950s, sociologists declared that the Amish are a culture in decline and will soon disintegrate under the pressure of technology and urbanization. Sadly, this does not happen. Uh, contrary to those predictions, the Amish flourished in the second half of the 20th century. The old order Amish population in Lancaster County, a mere 4,100 in 1950, grows exponentially to 22,300 by the year 2000. When World War II comes along, it uh, goes better for the Amish than World War I. February of 1941, the U.S. and Canadian governments accept alternative service options for conscientious objectors. The American Civilian Public Service and the Canadian Alternative Service Work allow Amish draftees to work non-military assignments and stay in special CO camps. They will provide free labor and forestry projects, hospitals, social work on farms. <clears throat> Excuse me. Many uh, also receive farm deferments and may work at home because agricultural production supports the national interest during the war. Then this changes again, and <clears throat> excuse me, in 1950, uh, with the beginning of the Korean War. With the U.S. military entering into more combat, the draft system no longer exempts conscientious objectors. But they also don't get sent to the front lines. Amish men can enter some type of alternative service as part of the IW program, where CEOs spend two years working in government or nonprofit organizations that benefit society. Most of those organizations exist outside of the men's home communities. Uh, clash over schooling resumes in 1955. Uh, in the early 1950s, hundreds of Amish fathers are imprisoned for refusing to send their kids to high school. Taking pity on these anti-education weirdos, in 1955, Pennsylvania agrees a new vocational school option for the Amish. Children now have to attend school through eighth grade, after which they can you know, work at home and go to an Amish vocational class once a week until they're 15. Cool. Keep them stupid. Best way to also keep them Amish. The first vocational schools will be opened in January of 1956. Under the new structure, attendance records are still reported to the state, but students are under the vocational guidance of their parents for most of the week. Things uh, next get contentious in Iowa. In the fall of 1962, in uh, Buchanan County, Iowa, an Amish community reopens its one-room schoolhouse and hires its own Amish teachers, refusing to send their sweet babies to heathen sin camps where kids smoke cigarettes in the bathroom and finger and hand job each other in their cars at lunch, right in the school parking lot. Locals promise to take action against these new Amish schools. November of 1965, authorities uh, go so far as to attempt to close Buchanan County, Iowa's Amish schoolhouses, by force. The operation gains national attention, public sympathy, grows for the Amish cause, which I think is fucking weak. Uh, Governor Harold E. Hughes asked the state legislature to address the situation. As schooling conflicts erupt in more states around the U.S., non-Amish lawyers, academics, and religious leaders form the National Committee for Amish Religious Freedom. 
The group advocates on behalf of the Amish to defend and preserve their religious freedom, and I don't like it. I truly think that sometimes we allow too much religious freedom. You want to school your kids at home? Okay. But they still should have to go to testing centers. And if they aren't in at least the D student range, unless they're intellectually impaired, uh, you should lose the right to teach them at home because you're clearly a fucking shitty teacher. I hate protecting religious freedom to the point that parents are free to fuck over their kids' futures, right? Kids should have to go to school. And if the basic concept of a basic secular high school education clashes strongly with your religion, then how about fuck your religion? If education is a threat to your religion, then maybe your religion is garbage. In Iowa, the General Assembly agrees to exempt any Amish who have been in the state for at least 10 years from certain public school requirements. Now, officially, the Amish can manage their own schools with their own teachers who will teach kids next to fucking nothing in many cases. Uh, Then a similar resolution uh, will be reached about Amish men in military service. 1969, the Steering Committee and the Selective Service in charge of the Vietnam Draft finalized an agreement to let young men serve their IW alternative service on Amish-owned farms now instead of outside nonprofit organizations when drafted. Amish CEOs may now serve two years on farms leased by the Amish church, so they don't have to fucking go anywhere. They get to keep them within the church fold, uh, you know, remove the temptations of the modern world for them. Why, Why do we coddle these weirdos? No one's forcing them to believe this stuff. It's like we're rewarding them now for being insular idiots. Uh, Two years later, 1971, the North American Amish population surpasses 50,000 and will hereafter double every 19 to 20 years. 70s and 80s would see a lot more disagreement about whether Amish families had to send their kids to public school, including a Supreme Court case, Wisconsin versus Yoder. Uh, 1982, Nebraska will still not allow the Amish to use uncertified Amish teachers for their children. Good on you, Nebraska. Go, Cornhuskers, go! Deciding against taking further court action, many Amish now leave the state in the 80s and move to Ohio and Pennsylvania. Now moving rapidly up to the modern day. By 1991, there are about 123,000 Amish in North America. Then in 2006, something horrible will happen in an Amish community in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. This event will shed an interesting insight into another characteristic of Amish culture, the incredible ability to forgive in some situations. Uh, It's interesting. No tolerance for their own who leave the fold but incredible tolerance against outsiders who sin against them. They're a confusing bunch. On October 2nd, 2006, Charles Carl Robert IV, a milk truck driver, Roberts IV, uh, decides to do something despicable. Before the event that would make him infamous, Charles had quite a bit of exposure to the Amish. He was born in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and in 2004, his father had applied to the state for a special license to provide paratransit service to the Amish. Charles earned a diploma through a homeschool association, then went to work as a dishwasher at a good and plenty restaurant in Smoketown, Pennsylvania. And on October 2nd at approximately 9.51 a.m., Roberts entered a one-room West Nickel Mines school at approximately 9.51 a.m. with a 9mm handgun, 12-gauge shotgun, 30-06 bolt-action rifle, about 600 rounds of ammo, cans of black powder, stun gun, two knives, change of clothes, box containing a hammer, hacksaw, pliers, wire, screws, bolts, and tape. Not good. Uh, The sick fuck also uh, brought provisions for an extended overnight stay, uh, candles, toilet tissue, change of clothes. When Mr. Roberts arrived at the school, he showed his 9mm to the teacher and asked, have you seen anything like this? Right? Referring to the weapon. Then he uses 2x6s and 2x4s with eye bolts and flex ties to barricade the school doors before binding the arms and legs of his hostages. He ordered the hostages to line up against the chalkboard. Uh, He had sent away from the classroom a pregnant woman, three parents with infants, and all 15 male students, right? Keeps the girls. One female student escaped, nine-year-old Emma Fisher, whose two older sisters stayed inside. The nine-year-old, who had just started to learn English, even though she was born in Pennsylvania, uh, left with the male students because she did not understand the gunman's orders. 
right? She just didn't understand the language. Uh, she'd been sitting beside her brother, followed him out when he left. Roberts remained inside the schoolhouse with the remaining 10 female students. The school teacher, Emma May Zook, contacted the police upon escaping, upon escaping at approximately 10.36 a.m. The first police officers arrived about nine minutes later and attempted unsuccessfully to communicate with Roberts using PA broadcasters in their cruisers. The 9-11 call transcript shows Roberts ordered the police uh, or said, you know, demanded to the police that if they didn't pull back within two seconds, children will be dead. And then he began firing when they did not immediately comply. Police now have to break into the windows, uh, you know, when they hear the shots. By the time they get inside, what they see is horrific. Roberts had killed himself and five of the girls and basically shot all the others. They found out later that the oldest girl, 13-year-old Marion Fisher, appealed to Roberts, asked to have him shoot her first in an effort to spare the younger girls, according to a younger sister who survived. That younger sister, Barbie, uh, had also appealed to him to shoot her next. These are some brave-ass kids, incredibly brave. Barbie received nine-millimeter bullet wounds in her hand, leg, and shoulder, but lived. Three of the girls died at the scene. Two more died the next morning from related injuries at the hospital. Five girls ended up in the hospital in critical condition. Uh, the ages of the victims ranged from six to 13. One kid died in the arms of a trooper as he rushed her out of the building to get medical help. How fucking extra tragic. Everyone was, of course, now wondering why would Roberts do this? He didn't appear to be religiously motivated against the Amish, didn't appear at first to be mentally ill. At least the police didn't think so right away, didn't have a history of criminal behavior. By all accounts, he seemed to be a pretty normal husband, father to three kids. But there was something not surprisingly very dark going on beneath the surface. After his wife got home from walking their kids to the bus stop around 11 that morning, she discovered four notes Roberts had left to her and their kids. His suicide note stated that he was angry at God still for the death of a premature infant daughter nine years earlier. Note also cryptically stated that he had been having dreams for the past couple of years about doing what he did 20 years ago. And he has dreams of doing it again. So what the fuck did he do 20 years ago? Roberts reportedly also contacted his wife while still at the schoolhouse, stated that he had molested two young female relatives between the ages of three and five, 20 years earlier when he would have been 12. And he began daydreaming about molesting again. Both relatives in question denied those claims. Uh, however, among the items he brought to the school, there was a tube of KY jelly. Investigators surmised he might have intended to use it as a sexual lubricant. So dude might not have had a history of mental illness people knew about. Sure seems like uh, he was mentally ill. You know, so, sure seems like mental illness had something to do with all this. Uh, also, how terrible if you never did molest anyone to lose your mind and start believing you had. And now we're afraid to do it again. Something you never actually did. I'm surprised they didn't find a brain tumor uh, in this guy's autopsy or something. Uh, something was going on. Uh, the police would later find out that Mr. Roberts' coworkers had noticed changes in his behavior over the past several months. While uh, he had long been known as an upbeat, outgoing dude, you know, recently he'd begun uh, to appear sullen, his coworkers said. Then the, the week before the shooting, uh, the week before the shooting, Mr. Roberts once again appeared upbeat at work. Investigators thought it was then he decided to go through with his horrible plan. Obviously, the crimes he committed were terrible, horrific, tragic, uh, maybe especially to the Amish community who had tried to insulate themselves so hard against, you know, the modern world and violence for hundreds of years. So how did the Amish community respond? That's why I chose to share this story. Uh, I don't know what I was expecting, but it surprised me. Although the Amish community grieved deeply, of course, about the terrible incident, certainly were shocked about this tragedy. They also believed it was right to forgive Roberts. The Reverend Sheck, Amish Reverend, uh, reported that a grandfather of one of the murdered Amish girls said of the killer on the day of the murder, we must not think evil of this man. Dwight uh, Lefevre, a Roberts family spokesman, said an Amish neighbor comforted the Roberts family hours after the shooting and immediately extended forgiveness to them. The Amish definitely seemed to handle tragedy better than most. They seemed to believe it was just part of God's plan. No point in worrying about it too much. Uh, this reminded me of uh, one of the several, several documentaries I watched. Uh, there was a set of Amish parents and they found out that their young daughter, no more than seven or eight, had cancer, leukemia. And they didn't seem to get that upset about the news. 
They didn't seem to see much downside. Dad said that if the uh, cancer went into remission, well, then she'd live longer on earth and be able to please God from earth for longer. So that was a win. And if she died, then she'd go to heaven to be with God and please God there. And that was also a win. You know, I, I can't stand certain aspects of how the Amish express their faith, but it must be really nice, really comforting to truly believe shit like that. Uh, dozens of Amish neighbors attended Charles Roberts' funeral, right? The guy who murdered five Amish kids tried to kill more on October 7th, 2006. He was buried in an unmarked grave in his wife's family plot behind Georgetown United Methodist Church, a few miles from the one-room West Nickel Mine Schoolhouse. One mourner stated that Robert's wife was touched by the outward gestures of forgiveness by the Amish community. Uh, the schoolhouse was torn down 11 days after the tragedy. The New Hope School was built near the original site, opened on April 2nd, 2007, six months after the shooting. I do think the Amish are fucking weirdos, but they're tough weirdos. Uh, their faith is strong, and it seems to provide many of them with uh, great comfort. Guess I can't deny some uh, value in that. Uh, back to Amish history, just wrapping up now. Amish settlements are now scattered as far west as Colorado, south to Texas, northeast into Maine. The U.S. home to the overwhelming majority of Amish. 98.3% of Amish in the world live in the U.S. Canada has most of the rest of that 1.7%. Uh, approximately 62.5% of the North American population live in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Indiana. 2021, old order communities were present in 31 U.S. states. Though no old order Amish exist in Europe, there are a number of those car driving, computer using, uh, beachy Amish motherfuckers uh, congregating in Ukraine, Ireland, and Belgium. These congregations are the result of beachy Amish missionary outreach. Uh, but the beachy Amish are uh, almost closer to Mennonite than old order Amish. Also in the fall of 2015, horse and buggy driving new order Amish from the Midwest organized two settlements in South America. Uh, one in Bolivia, one in Argentina. Each settlement has one congregation. Most of the members come from old calling Mennonite background. Uh, today, these settlements relate to uh, new order Amish communities in Ohio, Indiana, and North Carolina. Uh, many new order Amish communities, again, though, more Mennonite than Amish. Okay, let's hop out of the timeline to learn more about these very interesting people uh, right, right now. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. I want to zoom in on some demographics. Like I said, as of 2021, 31 U.S. states have significant Amish populations. Uh, estimates show there are about 344,670 Amish people in the U.S. right now. North American Amish population uh, grew by an estimated 172,780 since 2000, increasing from approximately 177,885, right, uh, to, uh, yeah, 350,665. So an increased 97%. Almost all of these people are old order Amish, the most insular kind uh, who do zero missionary work. So how are they growing? Well, they're fucking. The Amish are fucking themselves into a more formidable, but still goofy looking force. Amish typically marry in their early to mid twenties. The new family typically begins adding new members soon after. Amish do not sanction birth control, which means they have large families. The primary force driving their growth by far is family size. They have over five kids on average, right? Less than a hundred non-Amish people, uh, as far as like, you know, what records we have, have ever become Amish. Everyone else are just descendants. They were just born into it. That's crazy out of a group that has hundreds of thousands of members, right? They make it very painful to leave. They have a, a high uh, retention rate, uh, right? Right Around 85%. Very, yeah. And again, very few outsiders uh, come. Uh, largest Amish population is found in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, about 81,500 Amish. Ohio's next, just slightly less, right? The bordering state, 78,200. And then right there, Indiana, uh, almost 60,000. 
Other states may soon see sizable populations. They are branching out. During the past year, 33 new settlements have been established. Seven existing settlements have been dissolved. New settlements, typically small, with only a few families in a single church district, a.k.a. single congregation. The Amish established new settlements for a variety of reasons, including a desire for more sexy bonnets. No, uh, fertile farmland at reasonable prices. Non-farm work and specialized occupations, uh, more access to beard oil. No kidding. Uh, Rural isolation that supports their traditional family-based lifestyle, uh, social and physical environments, climate, governments, services, economy, right? Conducive to their way of life. Uh, Proximity to family or other similar Amish church groups and a way to resolve church or leadership conflicts. Uh, 50% of all Amish settlements contain only a single church district. A single church district has between 20 and 40 families. It's a pretty damn small community to sometimes spend your whole life in, to find a spouse in. Uh, some older settlements, such as those in Holmes County, Iowa, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, you know, uh, have contain more than 200 districts. So many hot ass fucking bonnet bitches to choose from. Sorry, normally, <laughs> normally don't toss out bitches in that context. It, it just flowed well from bonnets. Uh, larger settlements may have several different subgroups, whereas smaller ones typically have just one subgroup. Uh, breaking down Amish communities by gender, age, race now, uh, that gets a little tricky. Uh, well, kind of. In some ways, it's very simple. As for race, the overwhelming majority of Amish are united by a common Swiss-German ancestry, language, culture. Uh, they marry within the Amish community. Uh, I wasn't able to find a single picture of a black or Asian or Latino Amish person online. Not a pick of someone who seemed like they were genuinely Amish, uh, not just joking around. Again, almost no outsiders ever join the Amish. Uh, Mennonites have racial variety, but not the Amish because the Mennonites will do, you know, some uh, missionary work. And now uh, recently, you know, the beachy Amish, I'm sure, are starting to branch into some racial diversity. Uh, But the Amish overall, so homogenous or homogeneous, excuse me, those words so similar. uh, They meet the sociological criteria of an ethnic group. However, the Amish themselves generally use the term Amish only to refer to accepted members of the church community and not as some kind of ethnic designation. Uh, Those born into the group, which is, you know, pretty much all of them, uh, who do not choose to join the church and live an Amish lifestyle are no longer considered Amish, just as, uh, um, wait, those born into the group who do not choose to join the church and live an Amish lifestyle, no longer considered Amish, uh, just as those who live the plain lifestyle, but are not baptized in the Amish church, you know, not Amish. Amish children are given responsibility at an early age, uh, with most learning a strong work ethic. Given the size of an Amish extended family, uh, an Amish child surrounded by older, younger siblings, aunts, uncles, grandparents, who in many cases live, you know, very close by. Amish children live at home, typically until marriage, right? Don't ever live alone. You might start thinking your own thoughts. A little bit cultish. Uh, typical that Amish children contribute their paychecks to the household budget until the age of 21. Not weird. Uh, marriage, Amish parents help their children get started in life. In some cases, helping finance a home or farm purchase, help that, you know, comes with strings. I'll buy you and your wife a nice farm of your own, Billy Kadaya Ding Dong. It's time you branched out and lived your own life, 80 to 100 feet away from our house. Uh, Amish parents have distinct roles in the Amish home. The male, husband, father, considered the head of the household. A stance Amish finds support for in scripture. Uh, also usually the main breadwinner, public voice of the family. In some cases, takes other leadership roles, such as in the ministry, if chosen by the current community leaders, or in lay leadership, like serving in a parochial, parochial school board or on some other committee. Uh, women have numerous important roles to fulfill as well. Amish consider a man's wife his, quote, help meet, his primary support in this life. How sweet. Ladies, you get to be Santa's little helpers. If you're a good, good girl, someday, you might get to be vice principal of your own, of your own family. Uh, women raised children are almost always household managers, responsible for maintaining the home, cooking food, make sure dinner's on time, uh, you know, uh, get the children uh, canned vegetables and fruits, 
uh, with substantial you know gardens found at most Amish homes. They might fulfill other roles such as helping handle finances for home business, uh, farm chores, maintaining correspondence with other Amish via letter writing. And I have no problem with women working in a traditional role as long as that is what they want, as long as that there is an option also not to do that. But that's not the case here. This is the only option afforded them. Uh, Amish homes, generally large with numerous rooms, spacious common areas such as living rooms and kitchens, sizable basements, which often provide a space for gatherings such as Sunday church services, which most Amish families host at least once a year. Uh, Amish homes may be heated and lit in a variety of ways, depending on the local church rules, uh, including using liquid propane or kerosene lighting and with wood stoves, you know, commonly used for warmth. No AC though. (laughs) I mean, of course not. It's evil. Uh, the technology homes contain varies as well. Uh, for example, some Amish keep their food cold using propane or natural, natural gas refrigerators, while others rely on ice boxes. Most have indoor plumbing and bathrooms, but some, the most conservative, do not. Instead of technology, Amish homes typically contain wholesome reading material for children, mostly Bible stories, Amish publications, other safe books. Get that copy of The Great Gatsby. Out of here, Hezekiah Dyer, loop-de-looper in the chimney chute. It has lust in it. I can feel the devil reaching out from its steamy pages. So now that we know what a typical Amish home looks like, let's look uh, at the Amish lifestyle on the whole. What makes the Amish, you know, probably most remarkable and certainly most recognizable, you know, is that distinctive lifestyle. Uh, two key concepts for understanding Amish practices are the rejection of hokmut, pride, arrogance, haughtiness, and the high value placed on demit, humility, and gleesenheit, calmness, composure, placidity, often translated as submission, or letting be, just submit to God's will, Hezekiah, ding dong. Uh, the willingness to submit to the will of God, to will of God as expressed through church norms is at odds with individualism, central to the wider American culture around him. The Amish anti-individualist orientation is the main motive for its rejecting labor-saving technologies that might make one less dependent on the community, which might start a competition for status goods or cultivate individual or family vanity. Oh, you think you're so, you think you're hot, shoot! Here's a kadai, a ding dong. You and your tractor. Uh, get down off your high tractor horse and talk with the rest of us. It's also related to the Amish tradition of rejecting education beyond the eighth grade, especially a speculative study that has little practical use for farm life, but may awaken personal and materialistic ambitions. Yuck. What do you mean you have dreams of your own, belly ding dong? Why can't you just be happy here in our cult, cult, cult? Uh, the weird names I keep giving them, by the way, have nothing to do with anything Amish. It just amuses me. Uh, now I want to explore their theological beliefs. Are you curious about uh, what beliefs led them into this unusual lifestyle? I am. I know we've talked about this stuff a little bit, but the Amish believe in you know one Christian God. They believe that their faith calls for them to lead a lifestyle that consists of hard work and discipline. In addition to discipline and hard work, their religion also calls for them to lead a lifestyle in which they practice humility, calmness, placidity. Standing out as an individual through self-promotion, self-expression is forbidden. A popular Amish school poem states, I must be a Christian child, gentle, patient, meek, and mild. Must be honest, simple, true in my words and actions too. I must cheerfully obey, giving up my will and way. That's just so fucking sad and creepy to me. <laughs> I have dreams and aspirations, but I must swallow them and push them down for God to love me and not be burning in hell. Uh, they closely follow the word of the Bible, which is, you know, seen as the word of God, uh, of course. Uh, importantly, people, importantly, people who do not adhere to teachings of the church, subject to shunning. Uh, old order church services, generally held in the homes of members on a rotating basis. Can't let anybody, you know, get in their house too often, make them think they're cool. When a congregation becomes too large to fit in a single home, a new congregation is formed to maintain this small scale of services and keep the community-centric focus alive. 
Amish are congregational, meaning that there is no formal religious structure organization beyond the local level. Mass often involves communion and foot washing. And as we said, adult baptism is also a tradition. Uh, I get the baptism. Why the fuck are they washing each other's feet? Well, I did a little digging. And it seems obvious once I found it. Uh, it's how they come. You heard me. That's how they come. All Amish have foot fetishes. It's the one kink allowed in their religion. Based on interpreting some uh, biblical you know, passages, it's the only way outside of trying to conceive a child. They're allowed to come in a non-sinful way. Some communities even allow female members to use their clits uh, to wash other members' feet. Sounds weird, but Lindsay and I tried it, and uh, she really likes it. It doesn't do a lot for me. I don't get the best foot massage out of the deal, but she fucking loves it. Old Topus Jones, that's what I call her now, cannot get enough. She's going to kill me for that one. <laughs> no, for real though. Why do they wash each other's feet? Well, uh, and, and with their hands, of course. Uh, to teach humility, right? You're not above it. And to teach care for others. So much, you know, community-centric focus. Uh, you know, but you, you gotta, there's gotta be dependent on some of the feet. I bet some of the Amish are getting boners in their homemade pants. Some Amish getting wet in their homemade granny panties, touching those uh, feet. Uh, religious services generally held every other Sunday, typically last from morning till early afternoon. Long service. Traditional hymns uh, from the Ostbund, an Amish book of songs dating back to the 1600s, are sung in several sermons. Bible readings are included. Didn't find a copy. I'm sure there's a bunch of sweet-ass songs in there. (laughs) Oh, please don't stand out. Please do not do anything for pride. Or that's how the devil gets you. Don't use a toaster, my dear. That's how the devil gets you. Uh, The service is usually led by a bishop, which is a lifelong appointment, chosen by drawing lots. Not sure that's the best way to pick a spiritual leader at random, but okay. Okay. Uh, ritual uh, visiting also practiced on Sundays after service. A visit is usually a low-key affair spent discussing community issues and enjoying homemade treats. There's some, sorry, there's a thing in my head. It's not in my head at all, but there were so many things. It's already a huge episode. It's hard to pick what to like cut out, but now I'm just flashing on one of the traditions of one of the most conservative communities in, in Missouri, this, uh, uh, you know, the Gingrich uh, lady was talking about escaping from. She said that like when they date in her community, they had this weird thing where <laughs> when you turn 16, uh, between 11 p.m. specifically, between 11 p.m. and 4 a.m., uh, young men, if a young man liked a certain girl in the community, other young men would then sneak him into that girl's house. But the dads knew that was going on. It was their, their courting uh, practice and would go into the young girl's room unannounced and then the boy would lay in the bed, but not touch the woman until 4 a.m. And then he would wake and sneak out before, uh, you know, the dad and the mom woke up. And oftentimes they wouldn't even talk. And that's, that's, that was the courtship ritual. That's how you let a girl know you liked it. You fucking sneaked in her room like a weird rapey creep and got in bed with her while she's asleep and then laid there. And maybe if she woke up, you talked a little bit. That's fuck. What the fuck? It's, and everyone, there's just so many weird little rituals uh, and traditions at various communities. Uh, popular holidays celebrated by uh, all the Amish are unsurprisingly religious holidays. You know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, Good Friday, Ascension Day, Pentecost, Whit Monday. Uh, don't give a fuck about 4th July. Uh, many of them don't even know that's a holiday. Uh, now let's talk about shunning. Amish shunning, a long-standing practice in which church members isolate, ignore, otherwise punish someone for breaking community rules. Some common reasons for shunning include owning automobiles or computers. Failing to kneel during church service or drinking alcohol. Get out, Jethro, Kaniz, or die a ding dong, slip and slide. First, you don't need a church last week. Now I catch you watching educational videos on your pewter. Flee, devil spawn. May we never see your evil face again. Uh, Amish churches cite multiple biblical passages 
they interpret as advocating shunning. In the book of Matthew, for example, a passage advises privately correcting someone who has sinned. If they do not repent, they must be presented publicly before the church. If they still do not repent, the Bible states, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Uh, Bible also talks a lot about forgiveness, but they choose to not focus on that part when it comes to rule breakers. Uh, they also interpret Corinthians 5.11 as an endorsement for shunning. The passage reads, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Yeah, but again, forgiveness, right? A lot of passages about that. Come on, Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Luke 6, 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Right? That one seems to strongly advocate against shunning, but you know, who gives a fuck, I guess, right? Uh, Crazy that a big book written by so many different authors over different centuries with so many contradictory messages would lead to a lot of confusion and tens of thousands of different denominations. Uh, While not all shunning results in Amish full-on banishment, contact with friends and loved ones uh, severely restricted for a shunned individual. Um, Yeah, again, it varies a little bit, the practice of shunning from community to community. Uh, Some churches practice strong or strict shunning versus those who follow a milder approach. Adherents of strict shunning maintain zero contact with the shunned until they confess and return to their Amish community. It has to be their home community, not another one, right? And if they don't do that, they are shunned forever. Milder forms of shunning allow acknowledging the existence of someone again when they join another Amish church or even a non-Amish church with Anabaptist roots and beliefs. So maybe you can be a Mennonite or part of the brethren. Uh, If they don't ever do that though, you know, again, fuck them, fuck your kids. Don't ever talk to them again. Uh, Adherents of strict shunning include among other random groups, the Lancaster County Amish, the uh, Schwarzenturber, that group we met uh, before before, that Emma Gingrich ran away from, that name I was trying to think of a second ago. Uh, The practice has received considerable criticism from outsiders, as it should, but some Amish, you know, they just see all this as tough love. They believe a person's soul's at risk if they violate the church's values. And basically being shunned is better than burning in hell for all eternity because it so strongly encourages one to return to the church. Oh boy. Uh, so how does that work to return? If the, if the Amish community decides to shun an individual, uh, the individual, or how far does, uh, let me, I'm sorry, I'm describing shunning more. Uh, the individual faces some serious repercussions, right? The shunned person's name is announced publicly to all members of the church. Every community member expected to shun the person and uh, those who don't could be shunned themselves. Again, it varies from church to church, but most churches do not allow members to buy or sell with a shunned individual. Church members are not allowed to sit at the same table, share a meal, uh, just talk to them. Some churches forbid people from accepting gifts, uh, visiting the homes under any circumstances, of course, of a shunned person. And, you know, again, this has led to a lot of criticism, you know, and, and as it should, it's a super fucked up form of social control. Fear of isolation means that Amish people often stay in their home churches, uh, even if they really want to leave or experiment with other lifestyles, but they don't because they're so afraid of getting cut off from their families by the shunning process. And then you can also be excommunicated, which really doesn't seem like a harsher punishment. Uh, a shunned member can return, not if you're excommunicated though, kind of, but some do. You just have to have a unanimous vote from the from the congregation to allow the excommunicated individual to return. Um, uh, let's talk about technology now. The, their tech ban, a little bit more. Uh, most notably, the Amish shun technology because according to their beliefs, right, they, they shouldn't conform to the secular world. They should just keep shit simple and focus on God. Uh, for the most part, uh, they do not use electricity, right? No televisions, computers, radios, any other modern electronics that have been invented since. And, and this is very interesting to me because the definition of technology, it's always changing, right? So weird that the Amish feel that the technology of the 1600s 
is okay. That's the perfect amount of technology, I guess, is what God thinks. But what if like a hypothetical Amish person would have been born in 1000 CE or 800 CE, right? Wouldn't they think that Amish using 1600s technology, uh, that they were conforming to the world? Like they're, the, ba- the core principles of their, it's really nonsensical, right? A horse and buggy is a kind of technology. It's so much of this is just nonsense. Uh, the horse and buggy carriage considered okay though, because since buggies are limited in terms of speed and mobility, you know, that way the Amish are incapable of traveling too far from home where they might get other ideas, more, more social control. This is also sad. Some old order Amish will ride in the car of a non-Amish neighbor, usually for business purposes, but ownership, you know, strictly forbidden. In matters of technology, Amish businesses kind of flexible. As with cars, many Amish will use uh, local pay phones for business and long distance calls, but can't own a convenient home phone. That's forbidden. It might replace face-to-face communication within the community. Uh, technologies uh, that are used in the home or affect the home are more scrutinized because family life, you know, that's the foundation of Amish society. Uh, and then there's appearance. The clothing that Amish men and women wear is meant to reflect their faith and express simplicity, humility, and conformity. Amish men wear straight cut suits, co- uh, coats without collars, lapels or pockets. They resemble the uh, Nehru jackets of the 70s, often called uh, Mutsa suits. During the summer, they'll shed the coat, wear a vest to church. Uh, most men wear black, real black. And all the men of like a, 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 any random community, they all dress alike for the most part. Slight differences based on their role. Like a bishop will have like a, a little wider brim. And, you know, uh, this guy, this uh, uh, preacher, he'll, he'll have like his, his lapel might look a little different. But it's hard. When I was looking at videos, just eyeballing them really quickly, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Uh, yeah, most men wear real black. A close look at a typical black fabric will have, you know, brown, blue, gray shades. Uh, in the Amish community, it, want, it needs to be the blackest black there is. In some Amish communities, uh, you, know, um, you know, they'll use charcoal gray, uh, navy blue, browns. Their trousers never have creases or cuffs worn with suspenders. Young children have suspenders made of the same fabric as the pants. Belts typically forbidden, as are sweaters and neckties. Don't want to start looking all nice and vain, thinking you're hot shit. Uh, men's shirts fastened with traditional buttons and most orders. All suit coats and vests fastened with hooks and eyes. Pants are made with a flap in the front, held uh, closed by buttons to avoid the use of the modern zipper. Zippers are, if you don't know, Satan's penis gates. Uh, young men, clean shaven prior to marriage. Married men required to let their beards grow, but not a mustache, because that is considered to be an adornment. <laughs> what the fuck? Haircuts typically block cut in the back longer than most English styles. It's just the fucking dumbest looking haircuts you've ever seen in your life. Most severe haircuts found among the Swartz and Truber. Uh, they're the ones that look like that, like a fucking raccoon, right? Uh, having a seizure uh, with pruning shears or just a dull knife has been turned loose on their head. It's absurd. The men typically wear broad-brimmed uh, felt hats in the winter uh, for dress year-round. Uh, the width of the brim, right, shape of the dome vary within the group and within your status in the group, uh, you know, role, I should say. During the summer, most groups will allow their men to wear straw hats. And all this shit is heavily regulated, like down to the eighth of an inch of how long this can be. Each community, very strict rules. And if you refuse to wear what you're supposed to, you are shunned. There is no just, you know, I want a different, I want to wear a trucker hat. Get the fuck out. Jebekadai, ding dong. You know, uh, for everyday wear, most men and boys wear pants made of a fabric called tri-blend denim. Used at one time by Sears to make their tough skin pants. Very fashionable. High in polyester, nylon, making the pants made uh, with that fabric very durable, right? The more conservative groups use a dress tri-blend, darker navy than a regular denim pant. Other groups use a medium blue tri-blend. It's all so regulated. They can wear the same, you know, few pairs for many, many years because of that durability. 
Uh, shirts will be made of Oxford cloth and on chambrays or plain chambrays. Um, a younger boys dress a lot like their dads, you know, with the exception they usually wear lighter colors. Men will wear navy tri-blend denim pants. Boys may wear lighter blue version of the same thing, you know. <laughs> Amish women typically wear a solid color, a solid color dresses, long sleeves, and a full skirt covered with the cape on the bodice. Some little bit less conservative groups will allow women to wear short sleeve dresses, but never sleeveless. <laughs> well, you want some dude to try and fuck your shoulder off, Nancy? Cover up that arm pussy. Uh, clothing is fastened with straight pins or snaps, stockings or black cotton. Shoes are also black. Amish women not permitted to wear patterned clothing or any jewelry. Not even a charm bracelet, not even a wedding ring. Definitely not a clip piercing. Uh, Swartz and Trooper Amish women uh, also cannot shave their legs or armpits or pluck facial hair. <laughs> Easy there. Okay, Cameron Diaz. Let's fucking tool. calm down on the sexiness. Plucking your <laughs> fucking forehead whiskers. Uh, the Ordnung or Book of Order, a specific Amish community, uh, dictates matters of dress as explicit as the length of a skirt or the width of a seam, right? They each have their own Ordung, which is uh, it's a little bit of a misnomer. That book of order is sometimes not a book. It's just verbal. Most Amish women make their own clothing, purchasing the, purchasing the fabric in local stores, usually run by other women in their community. Can't interact with outsiders. They might try and trick you into fucking, I don't know, sucking a dick behind the barn or something. Uh, lavenders, purples, darker greens, mint greens, mauves, pinks, some yellows, white, black, beige, all colors that could be used in everyday dresses for the most part. Depending on how conservative the Amish community is, some colors acceptable in one community, not acceptable in another. <laughs> oh, look at old, uh, look at old mauve dress fucking Karen thinking she's hot shit uh, Sunday dresses typically black with a white apron one of the local young women will pick out a new fabric at a store make herself a dress um, you know uh, Amish women uh, often never cut their hair typically wearing it in a braid or bun on the back of the head concealed with a small white cap called a covering like the Mennonites coverings vary widely depending on what group they belong to variations come in the size of covering strings how they're worn number of folds creases in the back all of that is regulated. Oh, 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 what do you think you're doing with your 17 creases? You know, it's a 16 crease community. Uh, Amish women will never be seen outside their home without their covering. When going to town or church, they typically wear a stiff black bonnet over the covering to prevent giving non-Amish heathens boners and whatnot, catching a, a glimpse of their lady stash. Uh, I know there was a lot about clothing, but how they dress is so distinctive. Oh my God. Now let's turn to something else uh, strongly associated with the uh, Amish. Uh, jousting for 27 years in a row now the winner of the international jousting association tournament of champions has been amish no one jousts like the amish with that dumb and dumber bowl cut the moonshiner beard with zero access to technology lingerie hairy wives the amish joust like they want to die jk of course let's turn to farming and barn raising unsurprisingly because of the ban on technology and their values overall most of the amish industry is agricultural sociologist john hosteller claim that soil has for the Amish spiritual significance. The practical benefits of a small-scale farming form and Amish viewpoint. The rural setting it requires, simple values it teaches, hard work it demands, complemented by a commitment to tending to, protecting God's land, guided by Old Testament principles of stewardship. The Amish connection to the land also dictates the pace and rhythm of Amish life. For example, weddings usually held during winter months to avoid interfering with busy planting and harvesting seasons. One of the most distinctive Amish practices uh, on the farms is the tradition of barn raising. Because the building of a barn requires more labor than a single family can muster, the entire Amish community must work together like bonnet and beard-wearing ants. Barn raising typically occurs in June and July, the time between harvest and planting. The family that needs the barn provides the materials. The barn itself, owned by the single family, 
with the expectation that the family will attend barn raisings for other families if needed. Barn raising also follows traditional gender roles. Women bring food, men carry out the work, children observe so they can participate in the future. How exciting. Uh, But as the saying goes, they're not making any more land, meaning that as the Amish community has grown, some Amish have had difficulty finding, uh, you know, agricultural jobs and have to work outside of that field. It varies by community, but many unmarried Amish men will also work as carpenters, blacksmiths, sometimes even on assembly lines in uh, secular factories. In Lancaster County, most of these young men work within the Amish community, but not uncommon uh, in some communities for a majority to work, uh, you know, for non-Amish businesses. Those jobs often taken with the eventual goal of saving enough money to purchase farmland and get away from those devil sinners. How strange would it be to work with someone who's Amish, right? What the fuck would you talk about? So, um, so Ishmael, uh, you seen any, uh, you seen any good movies? Uh, uh, never mind. Um, hey, you know what? You should check out this new podcast. Uh, I found, forget it. Oh, oh, dude, check out this, this meme. It's, uh, not worth looking at. Oh, you see the new girl? <laughs> oh my God. She's so fucking, uh, Hey, you ever think about, uh, uh, combing your beard? Uh, we talked a little bit already about Amish schooling. Uh, as you can imagine, very different from your average American public school. Uh, the skills traditionally emphasized by modern Amer- American education, such as literacy, Critical analysis, scientific rationality, not the focus of Amish schooling, but you knew that. Amish one-room schoolhouses, not dramatically different from rural schoolhouses, uh, you know, in the early 20th century U.S. Basic literacy, arithmetic, essential skills for running a successful farm are taught in Amish parochial schools. Uh, But the Amish shun higher learning as prideful and withdraw children from school after eighth grade, believing uh, that to be an appropriate time to begin learning the necessary skills of farming and homemaking through experience. And, uh, yeah, not so good. Uh, then when an adolescent turns 16, there comes a time when they get a different kind of education, right? At least an opportunity to see what the modern world looks like. Talk about rumspringa. Even among all of the somewhat strange seeming practices that make up life in Amish communities, we still haven't really dived in, talked about arguably the biggest one, rumspringa, an Amish coming of age ritual where teenagers leave the farm, get to explore the outside world, all while deciding whether or not they want to stay in the Amish community. If the Amish teens don't return to their families, they have to leave the farm, find their way in the world, you know, fucking shunned. But if they decide to stick with the Amish faith, uh, you know, they'll deny all their worldly pleasures they've experienced and give themselves back over to God. Uh, for a group that can be so conservative, it might be surprising that the option of Rumspringa exists. Hard to imagine Jehovah's Witnesses or, you know, uh, certain other groups allowing their youngsters to do this. But, you know, if we look at Rumspringa not as a wild and sexy time permitted by one of the most conservative groups in America, but as a religious ritual, it makes it starts to make sense, right? Because the Amish came from the Anabaptists who put specific emphasis on adult baptism right? Because babies can't decide whether or not they want to devote their lives to God. So they, you know, teach that faith should be an active commitment made by an adult. And the Amish practice of rumspringa comes from that logic, right? They believe that your commitment to God in the Amish community has to be a choice. And to that end, rumspringa offers an opportunity to see alternative choices. Instead of being a a cult that wants followers, no matter uh, the cost of their personal beliefs or individuality, Amish communities want faithful members who have chosen the lifestyle. But have they really chosen it? Right? I mean, if you don't return to the ways of the Amish, you're fucking shunned. You have to say goodbye to everything, everyone you've ever known. That's not a fair choice. Right? And you haven't been given any life skills to help you thrive in the outside world. Now you've been set up to fail and come back home. I would have way more respect for this group and tolerate their weirdness. So much more if they just fucking got rid of this intolerant practice of shunning that I I can't, well, you know, tolerate. It's sinister. If being Amish was such a good way to be, no one would have to be shunned and plenty of people would choose it. Why have less than a hundred people chosen this shit since these people have come to America, right? A couple centuries ago. 
because it's not fucking good. If, if you're not born into it and raised being brainwashed by this shit, there's no fucking way you're going to choose it. Uh, for Amish youth, the Rumspringa normally begins around the ages of 14 to 16. Ends when a youth chooses either to be baptized in the Amish church or leave the community. Uh, Rumspringa, Pennsylvania, German now, meaning running around. Not all kids choose to do it, right? How it's done varies from community to community. Some communities strongly pressure their kids, you know, not to leave for Rumspringa. Uh, you know, stay, stay, stay in the house, you know, do it in the basement. Have a wine cooler, see what you think, then come back. Uh, mostly many Amish teens use it as a time to experiment with everything uh, they've been forbidden from using or doing though. You know, technology, cars, drugs, drinking. Some Amish, particularly boys, may acquire a driver's license, vehicle during this time. They might still live at home, but now they're driving a car, might park it at home. Uh, any Amish on Rumspringer listening right now, smoke some of that toad venom, right? Just do that one, Rumspringer. Hit that 5-MeO-DMT God molecule. Then decide what you want to do. Macrodose some psilocybin for like a month. Let one of nature's psychological chain breakers bust you out of that angry God prison you're born into. Not even JK. Hail Nimrod, show them the way out, Lucifina. Uh, around 90% eventually rejoin the community as full-fledged members and adults. For a couple of years, the length varies a bit from community to community. Uh, rules are relaxed. There's no shunning or indiscretion and Rumspring is on. 2007, ABC News spoke with four Amish teens, uh, each grappling with the question of permanently leaving the Amish community with the Rumspringa. One of them, Danny, ran away from his Amish family during his period of seeking by jumping from a second floor of his father's farmhouse late one night at the age of 18. So clearly his family uh, did not encourage him to leave the farm for Rumspringa. Uh, he negotiated his way through a series of first encounters with the modern world, including remote controls, text messaging, drunken nights, to find that he had escaped one set of rules uh, you know, for another he didn't understand. Danny's internal conflicts about the decision to be or not to be Amish landed him first in trouble, then in jail. After a stint in jail uh, and, and the enormous lengths he took to get out of the community, he still thinks uh, he'll go back in a couple of years for the sake of his parents. Another teen considering the outside world was Lena, talked to by these uh, journalists, 16 years old in 2007. She cleaned houses by day as her duty to her Amish community, but texted on a secret cell phone at night. Although Lena dressed in Amish clothes underneath her simple dress and white bonnet, she would sometimes wear a t-shirt and blue jeans. She's a rebel daddy. Uh, Lena's act of rebellion was that she planned to get her GED, a uh, full high school diploma, right? Take that elders. I studied US history and sociology. A couple years later, Lena moved in with her boyfriend, Ruben, in a house a few miles down the road from mom, no longer rode in a horse and buggy, instead started driving a red sports car. In June of 2008, Lena and Ruben welcomed a baby boy into the world, and she had no plans to return to the Amish. Uh, Lena did, uh, you know, not end up returning to the Amish community. Uh, like Danny, another Amish teen would eventually turn back, even after going through great lengths, to live life on the outside. Harley, 19 in 2007, also left his Amish community with the clothes on his back, $21 in his pocket. Didn't have any second thoughts, but it was difficult to negotiate a relationship with his family. Harley tried to make regular visits home, but his parents didn't want him to visit. Uh, they were afraid to be a bad influence on his 12 younger siblings. 12. He said, my one little brother, he was about a year old when I left. Every time I'd come home and walk in the door, he'd run up yelling my name, asking, are you going to stay home? And I'd tell him no. But then at 21, or I'm sorry, at 21, Harley realized his dream of being a truck driver. But then after seven months, he became so homesick, he decided to give Amish life another try. He found the life without his family wasn't making him happy. So he started dating an Amish girl, planned to be baptized in the Amish faith in the spring when he stopped talking to the journalist. So it sounds like the real reason he was returning was that he missed his family, right? As opposed to missing his faith. He didn't want that life. You know, he just didn't want to be disconnected from his family. So again, real cultish. Uh, some teens getting a little, get a little more wild with Rumspringa. The 1998 drug bust of two Lancaster County Amish youth for selling cocaine. Uh, fueled the idea of Rumspringa as a hedonistic, hypocritical period for Amish youth in the minds of many, right? Jebediah, Hezekiah, they, they fucking went hard in the pate. Uh, they didn't fuck around with Rumspringa. 1998, two Amish men charged with dealing cocaine in their communities 
uh, for a motorcycle gang, uh, the pagans no less. What the fuck? Their names were Abner Stolfis, 24, and Abner King Stolfis, 23. Also charged were eight members of the pagans who allegedly sold drugs to the two Stolfises. And their names are so great. A tale of two Abners. The Abners distributed the drugs to members of the Amish youth, uh, some uh, groups known as the Crickets, Antiques, and Pilgrims at Hoedowns. I don't know where those names come from. Between 1993 and 1997, the indictment says, the arrest prompted the leaders of the county's 22,000 old, old order Amish at that time to acknowledge a struggle with drugs that went back at least a decade. That surprised me. Came out that alcohol and marijuana, though prohibited, fairly common in Amish communities, and a few months before the drug bust, Amish bishops started hearing talk about Amish youths using harder drugs like meth. So crazy to imagine uh, teenagers looking like Randy Quaid and Kingpin, you know, doing meth or blow off a fucking antique mirror and, you know, hopping into a horse-drawn carriage instead of playing music while they do some blow. One of them just, you know, sing some Gregorian chants or something. Uh, there have been other notable instances of Amish getting mixed up in drugs. 2011, the crank problem around Amish communities in central Ohio was so bad that more than 150 people uh, convened in a farm to learn about meth. While so sad, also kind of funny to me. Amish on meth? I picture these guys, you know, snort a bunch of meth and then just like farming and churning butter and just fucking raising barns so fucking fast. Get in a barn race in 30 minutes. Uh, 2015, the Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, a man, uh, a, a Grand Rapids, Michigan man, Moses Mast, 40-year-old father of five, ex-member of the Amish community, busted with 860 marijuana plants. 700 pounds of harvested weed netted him 37 months of prison time. According to his defense attorney, he was influenced by an individual in Kentucky who provided financial backing for the marijuana operation, including the purchase of an electronic bud trimmer costing thousands of dollars. Boy, if he if he wasn't already out, he would have been kicked out for that electronic bud trimmer. Right? What, what would the elders have thought? A sweet Lord Moses Akaidiah, how low have you fallen? How sad you let Satan trick you into spreading defilement. An electric bud trimmer? You can't trim the bud? Without the demon current, you can't work the weed by hand like God intended. Uh, early 2016, cast member of the show Breaking Bad, uh, or sorry, Breaking, I want to say that every time, Breaking Amish, named Chappelle Peace, busted with a lot of meth. When she was arrested, officers found $90,000 worth of meth. Uh, almost uh, $9,000 worth of heroin, more than $27,000 in cash, right? She was one of many street-level dealers arrested during this uh, investigation. She really broke away from the Amish. 2017, The Sun published an article about substance abuse during Rumspringas, alleging that, uh, you know, it's uh, rife amongst Am Amish youth. September 2017, police busted an Amish party in a field near Millersburg, Ohio, arresting more than 70 people, many of them youths. Two rushed to the hospital with uh, severe alcohol-related problems. More than 1,000 people expected to attend the party, with many of them coming from out of state, right? These, these parties called hoedowns. According to a Redditor, uh, claiming to be part of an Amish community currently on his rumspringa. He went by the name Eli. He says moonshine frequently makes an appearance at hoedowns. Another former Mennonite named Abigail would say this about substance abuse. There's a serious drug problem within the Amish youth. They do hold huge parties and bring hundreds of Amish from all over, even out of state. And they all go to a small community where they let their hair down during the winter. And then of course there's sex. That's sex. No, no, no. Be gone, Lucifina. Get out of here. <laughs> Sometimes they have sex. Also said that uh, should, uh, sex should only happen within marriage, but there's no doctrine on the use of sex toys, and sometimes that'll happen. She said, I've personally never heard of the topic of sex toys being brought up in church, so I really don't know what is allowed, but I would guess as long as it's within marriage, it's considered okay. Talking about sex in general, just not really done, other than teaching against adultery, lust, etc. So maybe they can use rabbits and dildos and butt plugs and stuff, but only if they're not plugged in. I don't know. 
Okay. Now let's look at the, uh, uh, maybe the most unsavory aspect uh, of some Amish communities. This is uh, much like the Jehovah's Witnesses because of the insularity of the Amish community, the emphasis on everything being handled in-house. There have recently been allegations about sex abuse in Amish communities uh, that have surfaced after years of repression that have not been handled well at all. According to a journalist who interviewed three dozen Amish people, in addition to law enforcement, judges, attorneys, outreach workers, scholars, sexual abuse is an open secret spanning many generations in many Amish communities. So here we fucking go again. Is it really that hard just to not fuck kids? Why? Right? Even some of these asexual semen Jebediah straw hat motherfuckers can't keep their dicks away from kids. Uh, victims recounted stories of inappropriate touching, groping, fondling, exposure to genitals, digital penetration, coerced oral sex, anal sex, rape, all at the hands of their own family members, neighbors, and church leaders. Right? Just everything. that happens everywhere else, also in the Amish community, but then just handled especially poorly in the Amish community. Uh, the journalist identified 52 official cases of Amish child sexual assault in seven states over the past two decades. But this number does not begin to capture the full picture because it is almost never reported. Virtually every Amish victim she spoke to, mostly women, but several men also, said they were dissuaded strongly by their family or church leaders from reporting abuse to police. Uh, they'd be conditioned not to seek outside help under any circumstances for anything, right? Uh, there lies this really fucked up part. I, I don't think there are more pedos amongst the Amish than there are in any other group. It's just how they handle things. It's terrible. Reminds me of the Catholic sex abuse scandals, Right. Fuck any and all religious organizations that hide pedophiles. Uh, quick, tan- quick aside here. Former Catholic Pope Benedict recently asked for forgiveness on how he helped hide pedos and he can go get fucked too. Uh, some Amish victims said they were intimidated, threatened with excommunication, shunning their stories describe a widespread decentralized cover-up of child sexual abuse by the Amish. Uh, we're told that it's not Christ-like to report, explains one woman identified as Esther, not her real name. Uh, she says she was abused by her brother and a neighbor boy started at the age of nine. She said it's so ingrained. There are so many people who go to church and just endure it. Like in the case of Jehovah's Witnesses, a lot of the reasons for the sexual abuse and its cover-up has to do with the community's values. Living a patriarchal and isolated lifestyle means victims have little exposure to police or anyone who could help them. Education ends at eighth grade, does not include any form of sexual education, which along with the isolation makes it difficult for victims to even know what is happening to them. You know, many don't know what sex is. Like they really don't to a crazy level. And therefore they don't know what being molested is. It's insane. They don't even know what the word, they don't know the word molested. A lack of access to technology also makes it more difficult to come by outside help and information. The Amish strain, you know, uh, of Christianity emphasizes repentance and forgiveness over punishment uh, or rehabilitation for these crimes as well, basically for any crimes. And Amish leaders, you know, tend to be wary of law enforcement, preferring to handle things in-house. Let's examine one victim's story who went by Sadie in this article. As a child, Sadie was up uh, before dawn every morning to milk her family's cows, wearing a pleated head covering and long dress, shoes and socks adult dull black, as local church rules required. She never turned on a light switch or shopped for clothes in a store, didn't speak English at home, just Pennsylvania Dutch, only language she was fluent in, only one she uh, knew it all until first grade. Never allowed to watch TV, listen to pop music, get her learner's permit. Uh, She attended a one-room Amish schoolhouse, rode a horse and buggy to church, right? Age, by age nine, she had been raped by one of her older brothers. By 12, she admitted to be sexually, sexually abused by her father, called Obner in the article, a chiropractor who penetrated her with his fingers on the same table where he saw patients, telling her he was, quote, flipping her uterus to ensure fertility. And she believed him because she didn't fucking know how anything worked. By 14, three more brothers had raped her. She's been attacked in the hayloft or in her own bed multiple times a week. She would roll over afterwards, ashamed and confused. The sisters who shared Sadie's room, even her bed, never woke up. 
or if they did, never said anything, uh, although some later would uh, uh, confess that they'd also been, been raped. Sadie's small world was built around adherence to rules, and keeping quiet was one of them. Right? She didn't say anything, even on the day the police showed up on uh, her doorstep to question then-12-year-old Sadie's father about his alleged abuse of his daughters. Almost two years later, Abner was sentenced by a circuit court judge to just five years probation for molestation. Uh, even with that small level of justice, definitely not enough. The horror still continued. At 14, she was cornered in the pantry by one of her brothers, raped on the sink, felt a gush uh, of blood running down her leg, cleaned up alone. While he walked away, gingerly placed her underwear in a bucket of cold water and then went back to her chores. A friend helped her realize years later, she probably had suffered a miscarriage while being raped that time. Uh, what was happening in her house was a poorly kept secret, according to several of Sadie's relatives. Back when Sadie was 12, one of them uh, reported Abner, who had since died, to local church leaders. Sadie remembers her father being shunned for only six weeks. Jesus, you decide that you want to watch Netflix, not go to church, that you don't want to rock a shitty fucking bowl cut or the dumbest looking beard I've ever seen, and you get shunned for life. Fuck your kids, you get a six-week timeout. But if you still wear the right suspenders and travel by horse, get back in here. So much about this group is truly idiotic. Uh, One thing we didn't touch on was shunning. Uh, implied in other parts was that after shunning in a person's confession, the community is strongly compelled to forgive and forget the sin ever happened. So that's great. Uh, that always works well with molesters, right? Tell them that what they did wasn't cool, but then forgive them and never talk about it again. And they'll just stop doing it. That's how it works. Uh, in Sadie's house, she recalls everything went back to normal or at least how it had been before after her dad's shunning was over. So it went back to not normal, went back to being rapey. When the police uh, and social workers later showed up on her doorstep, again, most likely after being tipped off by a local non-Amish person, Abner told authorities that things which we were speaking about had been brought up and dealt with in the church, according to a police detective's notes. He also silenced his daughters. You say nothing. Sadie and another relative remember him demanding. Authorities returned another time, asking him specific questions about having sexual intercourse with his daughters. Then Abner confessed to having sex with two of them, but he said he made love to them uh, at least three times, but he didn't hurt them. I want to throw up my mouth. I want to fucking kill this guy. Uh, then a relative called that Sadie uh, recalled that Sadie's mother told social workers to do whatever they could to help him from going to jail, to keep him from going to jail, right? So good job, you fucking moron. Her ignorant plea worked. She got her wish. Daddy rapes a lot. Got to come back home. Cue the confetti. A grainy VHS recording from 2001 shows a gray-bearded Abner standing with his hat hanging between his hands before a judge as an attorney explains that he's pleading guilty to a reduced charge of sexual abuse in the first degree, not incest, because the family is not desiring that he be incarcerated. Instead of serving a sentence that might have been five years or more, Abner now gets probation again. Unfucking real I'd like to officially volunteer my services for executioner in these cases. Truly, right? If, they, if someone could speed up that process, uh, right? Uh, handing out death to pedophiles, happy to be the guy who pulls the trigger. Or swings the axe, or ties each of their limbs to a different horse, and then, you know, fires a gun into the air to get those horses running. However it needs to be done. I'll even pay for my own gasoline. Pipe bombs, shotgun, catapult, you know, whatever, whatever we decide to use. Uh, Abner Diddle Daddy then abuses Sadie for five more years before leaving home and he'll never go to prison for any of this. So praise God, blessed be the fruit. So many more stories like hers. I'll share one more. Another crazy story of religious figures not handling an abuse situation well at all. Uh, Lizzie, this is even worse. Lizzie Hirschberger was 14 when she went to work as a mod or hired girl for a 27-year-old Amish man named Chris Stutzman and his wife taking care of their four children, helping Stutzman in the barn. One night after they milked the cows, he pinned her against the wall, kissed her, pushed her uh, onto the feed bags. It was a frigid winter in Minnesota and she was wearing pants under her dress. He then removes while she tries in vain to fight him off. Relax, he whispers into her ear like the fucking creep he was as he rapes her. She didn't even know why she felt pain and blood between her legs. Her parents had never talked to her about sex or even her period. She didn't really understand what was even happening to her. 
And Lizzie's community, kids not taught uh, even the proper nouns or names, excuse me, for their own, you know, genitals. When Chris Stutzman finally climbed off her, she was shaking, wondering why uh, she hadn't left the barn five minutes earlier, so the whole thing would have been avoided. Stutzman would rape Lizzie 25 more times over roughly five months, according to court records in her diary. He raped her in the hayloft, his house, on the seat of his buggy. Once on the way home from church, pulled the buggy off the road, raped her in the woods. Twice, male witnesses walked in on the abuse. Neither man would come to Lizzie's rescue, though. Right? Just keep your head down. Right? Uh, Don't talk about stuff. Instead, Stutzman himself, perhaps sensing he would be caught eventually, he does confess. But like Abner, only shunned for six weeks. No one reported him to the outside authorities. Right? The church disciplined him. They forgave him. Uh, Instead, uh, uh, get, get ready to be even angrier. The Amish community now turn on Lizzie for what they saw as a consensual affair. She was bullied and mocked, literally spit on, called a schlud and huda, Pennsylvania Dutch for slut and whore. Uh, the community now gossiped that she had mental issues and fuck those people. Uh, could the proper authorities please let me execute Stutzman, then let me burn the homes and barns and stupid fucking horse buggies of all the others to the ground, empty their bank accounts, shave off their dumb beards and bowl cuts, throw away their bonnets, uh, the rest of their stupid looking clothes, tattoo schlud and huda on their foreheads, load them into a bus, dump them off, maybe Times Square, uh, maybe Hollywood somewhere, and just see what happens. See how they like feeling uh, scared and helpless and mocked. Unfortunately, common for Amish victims to be viewed by communities uh, as just as guilty as the abuser, as consenting partners committing adultery, even if they're young children. Why? Because, and I'm not kidding here, many of these people, I don't know how else to say it, they are fucking idiots. This is what happens when no one in your community gets more than an eighth grade education, a modified subpar eighth grade education for centuries, right? And you fuck each other to the point of inbreeding that has created genetic problems in many Amish communities. Not kidding. A wide variety of genetic disorders affect many Amish because they're fucking inbred. I don't care how mean this sounds. This is one of the dumbest religious groups I've ever looked into. I used to think their simple lifestyle was cute, right? Now they're, they're fucking morons. Said that they were given, uh, you know, much of a choice not to end up a moron, but still, you know, they're morons. Uh, hail Emma Gingrich for breaking free from all of this. You should look up her videos, on, uh, uh, buy her book. I love her. She's a fucking real life saint, not in some prudish, perfect way, in a real good on you. You are so incredibly tough, inspiring motherfucker way. And she seems super nice. Nimrod and Lucifina love her as well. I can't believe she escaped from one of the most hardcore of these groups. Sexual abuse victims, Amish communities expected to share responsibility and after the church has punished their abuser to quickly forgive the person who has raped them. And if they fail to do that, they can be shunned. Yeah. Uh, When the rare case does end up in court, the Amish overwhelmingly support the abusers pretty much every time who tend to appear with nearly their entire congregation behind them, right? Survivors and law enforcement uh, sources say. In one 2010 case, young female victims were pressured to forgive their father and brother for abusing them with one writing a pleading letter to the court that read, Hello, sir. I'm Melvin's sister. Please have mercy. Melvin has made a big change to let go of his committed crime in the last year. I'd like to have our family together. In this case, the victims agreed to cooperate with authorities only in exchange for the abusers receiving no jail time. The deal likely helped save the defendants from what could have been 25 to 30 years in prison. According to former Judge Dennis Reinecker, who presided over 30-plus Amish sexual assault cases in Lancaster County and said this is how it goes. Gross. Back to Lizzie's story. Soon after the assaults, her mother tells her that she's being taken to a, uh, a different chiropractic clinic, neighboring South Dakota. They board a bus full of Amish adults for a 300-mile drive to a facility where, for a week, they watch me all the time, she later said. She received daily deep tissue massages to work through my emotional stuff, she added. This was just one of many Amish mental health facilities. It's a chiropractic clinic, and they thought it was a mental health facility. 
Oh God, staffed by Amish. Uh, they give some Bible-based counseling. Uh, they're not state licensed. You know, let's massage away sexual abuse trauma. That sounds like the plan of someone with almost no education. No one would tell her why she was there. Instead, she was pressured to sign papers that she would uh, allow staff to communicate directly with her ministers. Much like uh, the youngers on Amish reality TV, Lizzie uh, eventually gave in and signed. Another patient, also there for sexual assault, had discharge notes that recommended she be more submissive and that she challenge unhealthy thoughts towards ministers and others using positive good thoughts. So basically, be more submissive towards the people who abused you. We're going to return you to the community where you were abused, where you'll have to go forgive your abusers. And, you know, when you encounter them, just be submissive. That's fucking absurd. Uh, when a victim speaks out, the patient would say they get sent to a facility and drugs, so they shut up. Uh, but there may be hope now for victims like Lizzie. In 2018, Lizzie, who has long since left the Amish, uh, and another former Amish woman named Dina Schrock, launched Voices of Hope, a group for abused women. Others find solidarity in the Plain People's Podcast, a show launched in 2018 featuring stories of Amish and Mennonite sexual abuse. Jasper Hoffman, former Mennonite podcast co-host, says she receives hundreds of messages from people wanting to share stories or get help reporting abusers. And especially in Pennsylvania, efforts are being made to reform Amish culture itself. In Lancaster County, there's a legal task force comprised of police, attorneys, social service agencies that meet with Amish leaders a few times throughout the year, trying to build trust, communication, and, you know, avoid these situations. Uh, some Amish have started their own initiatives in multiple states. The Conservative Crisis Intervention Committee uh, will be liaisons with local authorities on reporting and prosecuting sexual assault cases. I, I don't trust them, though. Uh, one Lancaster County member, Amos Stoltzfus, told a journalist that a lot of things have changed and forced us to comply and not allow things to be swept under the rug like they had at one point been. In the summer of 2018, Lizzie sought her own justice by reporting her rapes to police, something she never felt she could do before. To her surprise, charges were brought against Stutzman, who was then uh, a deacon at the church. He pleaded guilty to third-degree criminal sexual conduct, and at his sentence and hearing, the courtroom was filled with his Amish supporters. So fucking gross. Uh, Lizzie also surrounded by supporters, including Sadie, who had driven two hours to be there. Uh, Stutzman ultimately only sentenced to 45 days in jail, 10 years probation, based on guidelines, uh, you know, in place at the time for sexual assaults. Another weak sexual abuse sentence here in the U.S. No wonder conspiracy nuts think the, Illum the Illuminati is a bunch of uh, pedos. We live in a nation so tough on drug crimes, but so weak on pedos. Why is that? Uh, as for Sadie, she's now a 32-year-old mother of five living in the Midwest in 2013. She and her husband finally left the Amish church, and she's focused on healing Tried to work through tr uh, trauma and couples therapy. Pretty sure, though, that she'll never completely trust uh, any man around her kids. And can you blame her? I feel like you earned that paranoia, Mama Bear. If a dude can't understand your concern there, well, you probably need to find a different dude. And, and with that, now let's recap this crazy fucking topic. We covered a lot today. From the Amish's foundations in the Anabaptist community in Europe to its growing population in America today, the story of the Amish still one that's being told. It'll be interesting to see how they manage to cope with new discoveries in technology going forward. Right? If conditions on Earth one day uh, meant that everyone had to take a spaceship, maybe colonize a new planet, would the Amish go? Or would they just perish, thinking that was God's will? I'm going to guess perish. Uh, why do they think that a, you know, a peasant lifestyle from the 1600s is the one God prefers? It makes no sense. That's not written in the Bible. So much of their lifestyle, so much of their choices, uh, uh, based on pretty loose interpretations. You know, they're very fixated on strict rules, conformity, on looking a certain way that has, you know, no real biblical basis. They, their focus on shunning is fucking gross. Their avoidance of the world on, of the world around them. What a strange take on what God would want for his faithful. What a crazy way to choose to live. Can a simple life be wonderful? Is some aspect of that appealing? Yeah, of course. Some kinds of technology proven to be seriously bad for many of us based on numerous studies. 
Social media gives a lot of people anxiety about a lot of things, like their bodies or how successful they are. Uh, It can connect people with subcultures that espouse violent hate or simply provide people with misinformation and conspiracy theories. That's not good. But also, technology is how you're listening to this podcast. It's the foundation for many of our livelihoods. It's how we connect with others that are not in our immediate vicinities. Uh, It's how we can access more information than the world's top scholars would have been able to even just a few decades ago. It's how we can uh, consume so much entertainment that can inspire us, allow us to escape the misery of our lives. It can educate us, enlighten us, many other very good things. Uh, It's a mixed bag, some good, some bad. To shun it all or almost all, I just can't respect that. That's just extreme ignorance. Uh, You know, uh, it is technically a form of bigotry to be prejudiced against a religious group like the Amish. So uh, I guess I'm a bigot. I don't like a lot of what they're about. I'm sure a lot of them individually are wonderful, but their belief system so fear-based, so anti-individualistic, so restrictive, so full of uh, such little joy, so anti-education. I mean, you know, fuck that. Uh, I read about one Amish kid who left the community uh, when he was a teen because he told his dad, uh, his dad was great at carpentry and his dad walked away in anger, came back, told his son he felt pride regarding how good he was at carpentry and that pride was sinful. And he now demanded his son literally whip him said he had to be severely punished for feeling better than anyone else, even just for a fleeting moment. And then his son whipped his dad and felt sick about it because it's fucking crazy. And then he realized how insane this shit was and he left and his family has not spoken to him since. That's the Amish way. Fuck all that. Be proud, meat sack. Take pride in your accomplishments. Feel joy. Uh, Don't live in fear of the world around you. Uh, See that there is pain and hate and destruction and torment in this world of ours, but also bliss and love and triumph and beauty. And any God that wants you to feel shame and fear for enjoying your body that you were born with or the world you were born into, I don't know. How about fuck that God? Uh, Death comes for us all, right? Enjoyment of life until then does not. So if you have the opportunity to enjoy your life, take it, hold on to it for as long as you can. I don't think the Amish, most of them anyway, I, I don't think they do that. I watch video after video of a lot of sad, serious people. So worried about pride, standing out, not being pious enough. Fuck being pious. The Amish are taught to be sheep. Why does anyone want to be a sheep? Sheep get slaughtered. Be a wolf. Howl at the moon. Fight for what you want. These old bearded men running so many of these strange negative religious groups that surround us. Do you actually think they know fucking anything about the nature of the universe? Of God? Some Amish are still taught in school that the earth is flat. No, they're fucking idiots. I can't get behind this. Any Amish on Rumspring, if you're listening, if you're wondering if you should go back or stay out, well, maybe go back and give your siblings letters explaining where to find you. Tell them you love them. Tell them the outside world's great. And then leave. Don't stay and trap another generation in this bullshit. Take a page from Emma Gingrich's playbook and fly away. Enjoy your life. You're only guaranteed this one. Time now for today's top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, the Amish have a very specific outlook on how human beings ought to be living in order to be good, virtuous people. Comes with a lot of social control, strong gender roles, a requirement to follow the many strict rules of the ordnung or be shunned. So get shunned. It's great out here. Uh, So many good shows to watch. For one thing, a lot of good podcasts. Central AC is fucking sick, bro. So many, uh, you know, ways to travel that are more fun than buggy rides. You know, my F-150, I'll fucking put that against any buggy. Uh, number two, the Amish lifestyle dates back to Anabaptist Jacob Amon, whose belief in adult baptism, shunning, and strictly following rules led to the creation of communities devoted to God and separated from the rest of the world so they wouldn't be corrupted by modern influences. And I think Jacob is a fucking, he's a fucking douchebag. Number three, 
Time and time again, the Amish have been represented on TV as the butt of jokes that continually misrepresent their way of life, but also do get some things right. Uh, Randy Quaid's Ishmael Borg from Kingpin. Yeah, that's pretty much how a lot of the old order Amish look. Those haircuts, I can't get used to them, but they were misrepresented in a lot of reality shows and taken advantage of. And if you do get the chance to ever help an Amish person, man, go easy on them. If someone's curious about getting out, be be very patient. They'll understand how little they've been taught and how hard this world is going to be for them. Number four, we saw that it's incredibly hard for many Amish on Rumspring or otherwise to fully leave the Amish community, right? They face isolation from their families and experience in the modern world. An eighth grade education at best, a shitty one, doesn't help them deal with many of the world's practical matters. It's the family thing that really hits most people the hardest, you know? Being separated from one's community tends to drive many Amish back to the places where they were raised, even if they don't really want to be there. That's the main reason I have such a harsh negative opinion of them. Well, that and the, you know, truly disgusting way that many of their communities have chosen to handle sexual abuse allegations. And number five, new info. How do you have a doll that doesn't encourage vanity in an Amish child? Well, you make it faceless. Another weird thing about the Amish, the faces of Amish dolls are meant to be left totally blank and lack distinguishing features like, you know, uh, anything on a, on a, that a normal face would have. Eyes, nose, mouth, hair. Their dolls also don't have fingers or toes. These things are fucking creepy. Do an image search for Amish dolls if you want to have nightmares. You'll see pictures that should accompany a scared to death podcast story. Uh, the origin of these dolls is not known, though a number of reasons have been hypothesized for their creation. For example, uh, you know, as they believe that only God can create life, many Amish may consider even semi-accurate replications of human figures to be idolatrous. There's so little fun about these people. Even their toys suck. Uh, similarly, faceless dolls promote uniformity, prevent one doll from looking better than another. Uh, can't have a prideful doll. Uh, you know, they believe that could spawn vanity. Maybe it's because the dolls reflect us in the eyes of God and in God's eyes, we're all alike. Uh, there's several accounts of the origins of faceless dolls used by Amish children. One account says that a, a young Amish girl once was given a rag doll. This is, a, I guess, a common story in many Amish communities. <laughs> a young Amish girl was given a rag doll with a, with a face for Christmas and her father became very upset and cut the head off the doll like a good dad does. And he reportedly said, only God can make people. Then he replaced the head with the stuffed stocking that did not have a face. And according to this story, you know, the little girl was very happy. She, she thought it was a great message. And she <laughs> played happily with that doll for many years. What? Uh, these creepy ass looking dolls do more good than harm, according to the Amish, uh, you know, but they, they only scare the shit out of me. Time suck. Top five takeaways. The Amish, quaint or terrible, has been sucked. Obviously, I, I think they're terrible. <laughs> I thought I would like the religion so much more than I did. Nah. Ah, probably lost a lot of Amish listeners today. Uh, thanks to Bad Magic Productions uh, team, uh, Queen of Bad Magic, Lindsay Cummins, for running this business. Let me focus on creative. Thanks to Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley for production. Thanks to Bit Elixir. Keeping the Time Suck app running smooth. Logan the Art Warlock Keith. Creating the merch at badmagicmerch.com. Running socials with Liz, the Enchantress, Hernandez. Thanks to the all-seeing eyes moderating the Cult of the Curious private Facebook page. Thanks to Beefsteak and his mod squad running Discord. Thanks to producer Sophie Evans for her initial research on the Amish. I did take a little harder harder take on them than she did. Uh, next week on Time Suck, we dive into a very recent, very controversial mass tragedy. Uh, on October 1st, 2017, about four and a half years ago, a gunman opened fire on a crowd attending the final night of the Route 91 Harvest Country Music Festival on Las Vegas's famous strip. Uh, as the bullets whizzed through the air, some people thought the sounds were due to fireworks. They would quickly realize they were living through a mass shooting. What would become the deadliest mass shooting by an individual in American history? 
At the end, over 60 people would be dead, almost 900 wounded from gunfire and stampeding. Everyone wanted to know who the fuck would do something like this. The answer was Stephen Paddock, 64-year-old retired real estate investor who targeted the crowd of concert goers from a 32nd floor suite in the nearby Mandalay Bay Hotel. Paddock began firing at the crowd at 10.05 p.m. using an arsenal of 23 guns, 12 of which had been upgraded with bump stocks, a tool used to fire semi-automatic uh, guns in rapid succession basically making them auto. Uh, within the 10-minute period, he was able to fire more than 1,100 rounds of ammo. Once authorities were alerted, uh, they arrived at Paddock's suite at 10.17 p.m., didn't breach for nearly another half hour, or I'm sorry, another hour uh, until 11.20 p.m. Paddock was then found dead by a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. In the days that followed, things would keep getting more chaotic about the story. Uh, when ISIS, the international terrorist organization associated with the Islamic State, claimed that Paddock was a Muslim who committed the murders on their behalf, that does not seem to be true. Uh, despite law enforcement directly contradicting that, conspiracy theorists would use the shooting as an opportunity to claim uh, more batshit unprovable things. Stephen Paddock was a member of Antifa, Deep State Asset, uh, so much more, Illuminati. But who was Stephen Paddock really? Why would he commit such a horrific deed? And what do some of the most idiotic on the internet think they know about what went down on October 1st that's been covered up? Tune in next week to find out. Maybe some things, you know, uh, seem true. But we'll find out. Stay tuned for uh, today's Time Sucker Updates right now updates get your time sucker updates first update good thinking attentive sucker lauren moore has been paying attention because i fucking blew it (laughs) and i wouldn't have realized this until she pointed out i forgot some updates she writes dear master Suckwalker, i'm genuinely confused as to why there have been no time sucker updates on the lacey peterson episode you mentioned the arthur shawcross episode I believe that those updates will be in the next episode and they've just never come. I've waited every episode since and as uh, that one, it, it, it's just been disappointed every time. I was slightly surprised and almost grossed out by that episode. It gave me an icky feeling listening to you so harshly defend Scott. I really would like to hear the reasoning behind uh, what seems like reverence for Scott. No, I will say no reverence. I thought he was a douchebag. Just didn't think that the, the evidence had proved him to be a murderer. Yeah, never thought like he seemed like a great, great guy. Uh, sorry for the short message. I, uh, I feel less for not writing you a novel like every other time sucker keep on sucking please don't hate me lauren i don't hate you at all lauren uh i mean i don't agree with you about scott obviously uh but don't hate you yeah and again don't think didn't think scott was a great dude and just totally forgot to follow up so sorry uh thank you for the reminder now i'm gonna give the updates i should have included three weeks ago gosh dang better late than never uh close to the case sucker christopher glenn wrote hey man i love the show i grew up in modesto was in junior high when the whole thing happened their house on Covina was around the corner from my junior high. I've been saying exactly what you think since then. A lot of people interviewed that you mentioned Diane Jackson, Karen Service, Homer and Sue. They were all good family friends of mine and they were never questioned correctly. Thanks so much for shedding some light on this. He's guilty of being a shitty guy, but I, don't, I really don't think he did it. Christopher Glenn. Thank you, Chris. Uh, yeah, you bring up one of the main reasons uh, I, that I don't think it was proven that he did it. Too many witnesses who were sure they saw Lacey after Scott went off to go fishing based on cell phone records, who were never properly questioned or questioned at all. Only one of them had to be right for the prosecution's case to completely collapse. And yeah, it seemed like he was a shitty guy in some ways. Uh, but yeah, that doesn't automatically, you know, make someone a murderer. Now, funny sack, Elizabeth Studer Graham writes, Oh, sweet, innocent Dan. <laughs> when you asked whether any of us out there could imagine having trouble with an alibi on the Scott Peterson episode, I almost snorted a sizable amount of my iced coffee out my nose. Indeed, I imagine a moderate portion of your suckers out there like me spat out their beverage of choice during the inevitable laughter to follow. If you have ADHD like I do, then you almost certainly cannot come up with an alibi. 
especially under the pressure of an interrogation. Not remember what you ate for dinner? We can't remember what we did two minutes ago. (laughs) I'm so glad you are out there bringing up these tough questions. Too many people in our country are unjustly imprisoned. I listen to way too many true crime podcasts not to be haunted by the thought that any minute now, I could end up being asked for an alibi and will end up being uh, and will end up confessing to a crime I didn't commit just to avoid further questions. Anyways, thanks for giving me something funny to listen to while I do housework. You and your crew have given me hours of time sucking perfection. From your neighbor in Salem, Oregon, Elizabeth Studer Graham. Well, thank you, uh, Elizabeth. Yes, you also bring up another great point, right? A lot of people cannot accurately recall what they did on any given day, even today. That was a big thing with Scott's case. Why why did he get a few things wrong? Uh, people who can do that, I don't think they understand how other people's brains works. You know, and if you get a lot of those people on your jury, well, it doesn't bode well for you then, right? They can't relate. That's why direct evidence is so superior to circumstantial evidence. Circumstantial evidence requires jury members to put puzzle pieces together to see the picture instead of just being handed the picture. And not everyone great at putting puzzles together. Shit scares me too. Now, another quick Peterson connection before closing on something to ponder. A Central California sucker, Katarina Sisk writes, Hi, I'm writing for the first time ever. I am not sure you will ever see this, but I'm a, a big fan and listen to both Time Suck and Scared to Death. I'm from Modesto, California. I've lived there since 2001. I was nine years old when Lacey disappeared. I'm now 29. She was actually my substitute teacher when I was in elementary school. I remember seeing the missing posters of her all over town. I used to think without a shadow of a doubt that Scott killed her, but after listening to this podcast, along with watching some other documentaries, I'm no longer sure of his guilt. Thanks for always making great content to help me get through my commute, Katarina Sisk. Well, thank you for sharing young Katarina. Uh, Crazy, she was your teacher. And yeah, it was some docs that really got me questioned at all, right? God bless good documentarians. More great tech that the Amish are missing out on. And uh, and, and now the final thing to think about with this trial for these updates, excuse me, critical thinking sucker Ian Stevens writes, hi, Dan and team. Uh, Good job on the suck of the disappearance of Lacey Peterson and the subsequent trial of Scott. Uh, there, this is a topic that I know you've thought about and talked about in the past, but maybe this is a good time to revisit it. I agree with you that the evidence to convict Scott Peterson based on how you presented it seems incredibly weak. Despite that though, not only was he sentenced to death, uh, but a judge, a legal professional tasked with good decision-making denied his request for a new trial. That raises the question if Scott Peterson was sentenced to death. How sure can we be in the guilt of anyone on death row who did not get the press coverage that Scott did? Should the institution of the death penalty exist when we see that the criminal justice system is so prone to manipulation? Even if we seem 100% sure that someone did something, are we? You can always let someone out of prison or lock them up there for life. You can never undo an execution. Further, it raises the question, what's the point of prison? If it is to punish people, then I suppose there is no better punishment than death, and it sure does feel good sometimes for people like John Wayne Gacy to die. But I think most people would want to say that the point is rehabilitation or to protect the public. You can't rehabilitate a dead man. And killing someone protects the public no more than putting them in prison for the rest of their life does. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And in the case, uh, and if the case of Scott Peterson affected your views on this issue, thank you, Ian. Uh, great message, Ian. Yeah, no, that suck did make me rethink my stance. And I think I talked about this on the secret suck and maybe mentioned some previous time sucks. But uh, I think there should be a different type of guilty verdict for certain especially heinous crimes like first-degree murder. Right, like basically, there should be a super duper guilty option. I'm not sure exactly how we'd classify it, but like, like in the really, really guilty verdict, there would have to be a lot of solid direct evidence, right? And, and maybe even multiple crimes. Like, like maybe you could be wrongly convicted for murdering one person, even with direct evidence. But could you be wrongly convicted of, uh, you know, like two, two plus separate murders where there's like video evidence? 
like there is sometimes, you know, that, that level of evidence, you know, like in some cases, like John Wayne Gacy, who he brought up, I mean, they're so fucking guilty. So many bodies with his DNA all over them in his own basement and much more, right? Uh, like there's no way they were getting that one wrong. Uh, I do still think there should be capital punishment for some individuals. Uh, and I also think more people should be locked up for life, right? Especially, uh, especially sexual predators. I don't think, uh, as far as the rehabilitation thing, I don't know. There needs to be more nuance for some crimes. Yeah. People can be real bad. I think prison can be real rehabilitated for some, but for like a serial sexual predator, I, I mean, the stats don't say that they can be rehabilitated currently. Like there's no way to rehabilitate them. So why fucking bother? You know, I, I just think the whole system could use some reevaluation, right? Some upgrades. Uh, you got to keep upgrading things based on new information. In cases like Scott's where it looks like they're guilty, but you don't have any direct evidence to tie them to the crime. Yeah, I, I don't think the death penalty should be an option. I don't think the death penalty should have been on the table for his trial. Uh, maybe, you know, I, I would not have thought that a few years ago or even last year. So these cases are changing my mind a little bit. I'm softening a bit on certain cases because I, I become more aware of jury bias, uh, of juries and or judges railroading people, of law enforcement planting, you know, evidence in certain investigations. Uh, so, you know, because of all that, definitely shouldn't hand out death sentences casually. I, I'm still on team death sentence for certain crimes though. But I appreciate you making me think more. Thank you, Ian. Uh, thank everyone for the messages you continually send in to these Time Sucker updates. Thanks, Time Suckers. I needed that. We all did. Thanks again for listening to another Bad Magic Productions podcast, Meat Sacks. Uh, maybe do not try and live like it's sixteen ninety nine this week. Uh, that'll make your life, you know, so unnecessarily hard in so many ways. And it'll make it impossible for you to keep on sucking. Add Magic Productions. Hey Joe, uh, I I think I mean I don't like a lot of their like dress codes and stuff and the shunning, but I don't know. Sometimes the uh, the tech stuff does sound appealing. I mean, maybe I'm just like trapped by all this stuff, you know? Maybe it's yeah, we can give it a go here. Yeah, we could probably keep things going without technology. Should you take my phone? Yeah, yeah that's great. So we I mean, can't have these. Um, yeah. So you can't have uh, oh, I can't, lights. Okay, I have, can't have lights. Okay, and then, uh, yeah, so can I have can I have um here. can I have these headphones? No, you can't have Oh, yeah, okay. Just one second. I'm grab the lights here real quick. Okay, okay. can't have the lights. Here's, here's the headphones. Yeah, can yeah. I have this mic? Uh, no, I mean for, for like, just for a second. Okay. I don't have enough hands to take it from Okay. You, so uh, no mic. Yeah, no no anything really. So no, okay. Let me know how it goes. Okay. I don't know. I mean it feels a little bit peaceful. Kind of, kind of boring. Yeah, more boring than peaceful. How many, how many minutes did I make it? Okay, I don't want to do it anymore. It's, it's been 20 seconds. It's been 20 seconds. I tried. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. 
At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.